Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a screaming shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Eric. I'm not going to say hello to you. Okay. What I am going to do. Yes. Is say hello a different way. Okay. And here's how I am going to say hello to you. Please open the door. Nothing is different. We've been here before. Pacing these halls. Trying to talk over the silence. He's back, baby. Let's get to one chorus and then forget it. Sticks out his tongue, laughs at the portrait that we become. Stuck in a frame, unable to change. I was wrong. He still got it. Still got it. I'm late. Sing it, Billy. But I'm here right now. What'd you used to be? That's it. Oh, I used to be romantic. I forgot somehow Tom can make you blind But I see you now As we're laying in the darkness Did I wait too long To turn the lights back on You still got it. It, it it just makes me incredibly happy. I have listened to that song at least a hundred times. <laughs> uh, the performance on the Grammys last night, you and I were talking about it. He killed it. He sounded great. He did. He did. Um, I have a lot to talk about. I want to get into the Grammys more with you, but I actually played that song not just because I'm so happy he's back, which I am. Yeah. But the phrase... Did I wait too long to turn the lights back on? I have been thinking about that a lot as it relates to Indiana basketball. Did we wait too long 
will we wait too long to turn the lights back on? Well, this is this is a, a discussion you and I had when we realized that was this on the show where we said that it's been like the same amount of time since Billy Joel released uh, a new song since basically Calbert and those guys graduated. It's the same time. 93, 93. You're absolutely right. So we're going to get into all of that. But as always, we are. <laughs> Howard, Howard by. Communitycars.com Sponsor of the Pod Hoosier Hysterics Communitycars.com Hoosier Legends Talk with Warren Eric Eric does accents Eric does accents That is something uh, that Much like Billy Joel's music Has been missing from this podcast God, that is just such an insult to Billy Joel. Um, uh, look, man, communitycars.com. I was thinking about my community car as much as I love it because I was driving my kids to school this morning in what can only be described in L.A. terms as a biblical downpour. I mean, the rain has been crazy. It's fine. It's fine. It's just... It's just everybody here is looking for something to get bent out of shape about weather-wise because it's so, so monotonous. It's just sun all the time. And so I think much like the quote-unquote hurricane that hit Los Angeles last year when you and I were uh, back in Indiana, all oh, it's just rain. There's not even like high winds a little bit last night, but there's nothing to be afraid of here. It's but, just bored people. But Ward, it's an atmospheric river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is that? Like, when did they just create that term? When we were kids, it was just, it's raining. Yeah. It's just raining a lot. Is it going to rain a lot tomorrow or is it going to rain a little? Every once in a while, somebody would say it's a drizzle. But like, an ad, they're just coming up with terms that they can put on newscasts to make it seem like something bigger. And it, it sounds sci- sci-fi. Oh, an atmospheric river is coming. All of a sudden, the, L.A. is going to look like the movie 2012, this like is the it. day after tomorrow. They're just trying to sell more commercials. They're like, oh, let's let's get the fear going that something terrible is going to happen like what an atmospheric river if there's an actual river that springs up in the middle of la besides the la river which is just surrounded by very tall concrete walls and it's never even come close to being breached there's nothing like my daughter was in tears this morning because she didn't want to go to school because none of the other kids wanted to go to school because they all were on like snapchat saying we don't want to go to school because these kids never get a snow day so they're thinking this is when they're going to cash in and annie and i were having none of it good i I am right with you my son was like i can't believe we have to go to school what are you talking about it's raining (laughs) when i grew up there would be a foot of snow on the ground and the superintendent of our school district would get out in his giant truck ford 150 drive it around and be like it's cool we're gonna have school today and then we went to school it had to be like minus 30 and three feet of snow happening during drop-off time or we were going to school so buck up kids that said while i was driving through the atmospheric river this morning yeah and my car was having no problem doing it i was like thank god i got it from community cars 
Yep. I know it's going to be tip top shape. And the great thing about community cars is it doesn't matter what your budget level is. You know, uh, oh, by the way, somebody mm. reached out to us and asked, they went to the, the dealership uh, website, they went to communitycars.com and they were looking for Subaru. They wanted a Subaru. Yeah. They're like, Does, do, do they sell Subarus? I'm like, no, they don't have a Subaru dealership, but they do have used car dealerships. They can get you a Subaru or any car really, and they'll do the research for you and for your budget parameters. They'll go find you the car that you want at the best possible price, or they'll be honest with you and say, listen, for that price, we just can't help you. They're not going to screw around with you. They're not going to play with financing terms to make you feel like you're getting the number that you that you talked about. They're going to be honest with you. You're going to get the car you want. That's like, community cars. They're playing the long game. They're playing the long game, not, not just to try to get this sell this time. They want you to think about them for all your car purchasing needs, for your kids' car purchasing needs, for your grandkids' car purchase, purchase for budget. Sorry, I think the sound with the rain just got yeah, messed yeah. up. Did yeah, you hear that? That was glitchy. Mm -hmm. But it's a family multi-generational business. And that's, you know, they're not going to sit there and try to rip you off or jerk you around to get one sale. They want to make customers for life. All right. Ward, what? you and I yeah. have not talked really since the Penn State game. We had a brief FaceTime when I was in the middle of the wilderness with my family camping and we just, I couldn't hear you well because there was a lot of noise. You I'm sure couldn't hear me all that well camping. You were in like a giant dining hall. <laughs> well, yeah, we were in the mess hall. We were in the mess hall. Um, yeah, I'm not eating outdoors. I mean, I don't know who you think I am. Camping for a bunch of Jews ward is a very different experience than regular camping. Yeah, no, I think that's the kind of camping I'd be into. Yeah, it's the only camping that I find acceptable, and I don't find it acceptable. <laughs> I don't like it. So I couldn't watch the game live. I didn't watch the game until yesterday, mm, and mm. I was meaning Sunday, and I did watch it beginning to end, every play, even rewound some plays. And so you and I have not talked about how we're even going to approach this. Right. Um, so I'm just going to turn it over to you and say, what do you, let's just see where this goes. Sure. What do you want to, what do you want to say about it? I, uh, I'm really curious what, what your take is here. Well, when it comes to talking about Indiana basketball, this is what I want to talk about. I'm glad that Tyrese is getting healthy. I'm glad that miles is back. <laughs> I'm glad that, you know, this, this team has had so many different starting lineups over the last 20 games. It's kind of hard to see where they really stack up with the other teams in the East. Is this, is this an acceptable path or do we have to stick to the Indiana Hoosiers? I wish it was an acceptable path. Yeah. I, as you know, have become a fan of the Indiana Pacers, especially this group, because I think they're so much fun to watch. Let me tell you who else I love. And I know he's gotten a lot of bad rap over the years, I love me some Miles Turner. Now, I don't know about him as a basketball player as much. I just love this guy's obsessed with Lego. Sure. Yeah, yeah. He's and, a big have kid. Have you seen these things that he's put together? <laughs> some of them, yeah. Yeah, it's it's all he does besides basketball, apparently. But that's awesome. Like, he could mm -hmm. be out, like, drinking and drugging and, you know, partying. The guy loves Lego. He loves building Lego. But, but wait, back up. You, what have you heard bad about Miles Turner? Well, there's always, look, he's up until all, he's this year, the, really, he, he has been dangled on the trade block but, but every that's only, year. 
that's just because him and Sabonis were like redundant and they knew they couldn't really. But, like, but I've so- heard indie press hurt, like go after him that he doesn't play hard enough and that he has, he has come under attack by some of the Indiana, Indianapolis Who, Doyle. I, re- I yeah, really, who I don't like, I, I have not heard much miles hate ever. If anything, oh, it's okay. just sympathy for him because he's continually being dangled on the trade block. But now with Sabonis leaving with this new configuration, even with Siakam saying how much he and Miles skill sets would work together, it really seems like, hey, buddy, thanks for hanging in for the last seven years of being trade bait. We got you now. Okay, great. Look, I may be wrong. I'm not tapped into the Indianapolis media scene like I'm sure many of the people listening to this. My impression on social media was that he took on a lot of shit for many years that people think he's a seven foot one monster and should just dominate every game. And he's not Shaquille O'Neal, but he's a really good basketball player. And he just seems like a really cool dude. I love Tyrese Halliburton. I, I just love the the mix of the team. I love TJ McConnell. He just seems like a tough guy who comes off the bench and does what you want him to do. They, they seem like what we would want from a culture standpoint at the college level, like they seem more, not talking about skill level, they seem more college-like than NBA-like with like how you were talking about what Siakam said about Miles Turner, the way Halliburton has talked about recruiting people to Indiana. They just feel more, um, not gritty, I don't know, like college to me. And I love that. Like, I think one thing, because I... I remember Siakam and what he was doing when he and Kawhi won it all, but he was relatively early in his career, but you could already see he was kind of a next level player Um, and watching how much better he is now than he was several years ago is like been really exciting to see, but I just like that. He kind of has this, this light in his eyes, this glint, this playfulness, this joy that comes with whether he's doing an interview or he's out on the court there's just a playfulness there with these guys that I think maybe is what you're alluding to. Yes. That, that a, a playfulness, a, a joyfulness in playing together and as a group and winning, it's exciting, it's fun. And we've successfully not talked about the Indiana Hoosiers now for like five minutes. This has been great. It has, but I'm going to end all that. Because yeah, yeah. we are going to go back to talk about the Indiana Hoosiers because all the words you just use, joyful, playful, there's a pride there, obviously, now. Um, they're playing, it seems like, for something bigger than themselves. It feels like Halliburton and Siakam, and like they want to build something bigger than the sum of the parts. Um, and that none of that seems to be happening at Indiana right now. So I'm going to go back and ask you, what's your take post-Saturday's game? What's running through your head about this program right now? that going into the game i was like every game's a playoff game you know like this is this is it and you know we were talking about could they possibly make a late season run and get to 12 wins in the conference and no they can't they won't they didn't they lost to penn state at home and the season is for all intents and purposes over and uh, after the the highs of Iowa and Anthony Leal, where I'm like, yeah, every time I'm out, they pull me back in. But like now it's just like it's just math. Never mind. Like, what have we seen from this team all season to make us think 
they have some sort of run in them. Nothing, nothing. They got they got embarrassed by Penn State at home. And now it doesn't even feel like, oh, every game matters. We got to win everyone. And then we could maybe have like, okay, now it would be like the miracle run in the Big Ten tournament is the only chance to get to the real tournament. And there is nothing about this team that makes you think they're going to get past the first round of the Big Ten tournament, much less get all the way through and win the thing. It's it's. It feels over to me at the beginning of February, and that sucks. Yeah, I mean, well said. I, I think I kind of want to break it up in two things. Like, one is to talk a little bit about the game, but not much, and then mostly about just the program. The thing that blew me away about the game was with 12 minutes left in the second half, after we were winning 41-37 to 37 at halftime, with 12 minutes and five seconds left in the second half, Penn State took an 11-point lead. We never were within 10 points after that point. They blew us out, and we didn't compete for the last 12 minutes, you could argue, for really the whole second half. Yeah, whole second half. That is remarkable. I, I, ju- I just don't even remember that. I remember some games... Well, last year, we got blown out by Iowa at home. I remember that. Um, but it does just seem like, and and Penn State was missing their leading score. <laughs> yeah, this is like the whole like pre-conference season where we're playing Harvard and Wright State and everybody without their best player and still barely beating them. It's like, well, now it's Big Ten. So when you're playing the dregs of the Big Ten and they don't have their best player, you're actually not going to lose because they're still better than Wright State. Exactly right. And when I watched the game yesterday, I was looking for like other things because, you know, you're not as locked into the game because you know you're going to lose. Yeah. So I'm looking for body language and just trying to pick up on some things. There were timeouts called. Woody would call a timeout. And he just looked like he had given up. He looked dejected. He looked like no energy at all. And we know he's not a high, high energy guy to begin with, but no energy, no fight. They just look resigned to this ineptitude. And it is depressing as hell. It It, it is, um, you know, you and I have talked about this a few times. Under Crean at the end and under Archie at the end. I've now heard this from several fans, several that run the gamut. We're talking like some people that are high priced boosters, some people who are just, you know, blue collar run of the mill fans and some former players that there is a thought and it is the worst thought to have as a fan. It is the worst place to be where you actually take a step back and root for the team to lose because you think that the team losing will get you closer to the change that you want, that you think needs to be made to get the program back to where you want it to be. That is the worst place to be as a fan that you would ever have the thought of rooting against your team. And I'll be honest, I've I've had those thoughts in the past. You and I have talked about it. Recent past. Recent past. Uh, But I hate it. I, I hate it. It, it is not why I care about it. It's not what I want from rooting for Indiana basketball. It is. It's also marks like a loss of innocence about rooting for these teams because you never would have thought that as a kid, you know, but you, you learn more about how this all works and 
the nuances surrounding it. It just makes me sad to hear that from so many people that that's where they are. Well, and look, as kids, we had Bobby Knight as our coach. So we were never in the predicament where we're like, we got to get out of this situation so we can get to a better one from a coaching standpoint. And, and look, I, there is there, that thought's been pretty pervasive for a good chunk of this season of like, Oh God, well, we just go ahead and just completely shit the bed. Then we can maybe get going in the right direction for real this time for real this time. But even if that thought creeps in one, I think it's a little bit of a defense mechanism. Like, okay, um, this is how it, it just hurts not, too much. It hurts too much. So if we lose, that's okay. Cause that's getting us towards this, you know, inevitable conclusion. Anyway. There's a silver but, lining that I can find. Yeah. And, and like, I was feeling that kick in, in the Iowa game, but then then we just we we didn't we didn't give up. We kept fighting. Leo did his thing. Gabe did his thing. Khalil was battling, and damn it, those boys had me cheering like crazy. Even if earlier in the game I was like, "Well, okay, if we blow this one, you know that, that it'll actually be good because X, Y, and Z." I, I'll I, I don't think there'll ever be a game this year that goes down to the wire, and I'm rooting against this. I'm not physically, emotionally capable of doing that. But if we're getting blown out, I'm going to be like, yeah, we'll just beat us by 50 then and make sure the decision is made. Yeah, it's, um, it, you know, I've tried very hard the last several weeks to be optimistic about this program and where we could be. You have. And I kept, I kept saying, we still have not lost a game we should have lost. Now, we've had the conversation about how even that is ridiculous because we're expected to lose so many games that a good <laughs> program wouldn't be expected to lose. <laughs> I get that. But there is something about underperforming even the expectations of where you're at. And the expectations were at a certain place. If you overperform them, then I think you give credit to the coach, you give credit to the players. If you underperform those even low expectations, well, then you've got a real problem. And this was the first game where the result um, matched the performance because we talked about it at the beginning of the year, whether it was Florida Gulf Coast or Moorhead State or Army or Harvard, we played shitty in those games. We didn't look good, but the result didn't match that because we got the win. And so far this season, you know, you lose to Purdue, the number one or two team at, at home. You lose to Wisconsin on the road. You, you lose to Auburn. You lose to UConn. Like, you're losing to ranked teams. You beat the Maryland's. You beat the Michigan's. This was Penn State who was ranked below 100 in the net. And they beat us and smoked us and owned us in Bloomington. And... That is the death knell of the season is that you cannot lose games that you should win because you still got to go steal some. So I agree with you. It is hard to see how this season has a happy ending in any way. Each game is an opportunity to change that. So I'm going to try to remain optimistic. The biggest issue I have, and I'm going to rehash an argument that I made a while back. Are you really going to try to remain optimistic? Yes. Yes. I don't have that in me. I'm going to, what's the alternative, man? Like just to be so depressed all the time. 
Like when we play Ohio State tomorrow night or tonight, as people are listening to this, I'm going to hope we win. Yeah, but and but, I'm going to remain optimistic. They suck. Ohio State sucks. Sure, but that the I guess to me, I can't be optimistic about the season anymore. I I don't have that in me unless they win four or five games in a row. But but that's not going to happen either. What I will still show up for is to hope that we play okay and win. I'll still I'll still be there for like, hey, Indiana University won its basketball game. That makes me happy for tonight. Uh, that's what I'll, I, I'm not optimistic. I have no optimism left for the season at all. It's dead as a doornail. Okay. Um, it's not as dead as a doornail, but but it's close. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. I mean, it, it's not. As long Come as the- on. You don't, you don't have any optimism for this season turning around. You don't. You don't. First, stop yelling at me. Second, <laughs> if you ask me, do I think we're going to make a run and make the NCAA tournament? The answer is no, I do not. I am trying, honestly, to not, when you said you have optimism for the season, I'm trying not to even think about the season. Yeah. I, I'm honestly not. I'm, I'm honestly just trying to think about we play Ohio State tomorrow night. And let's just try to be optimistic about our chances playing a shitty team on their home court. Like, I hope we win that game. So you're right. I don't look forward and think that this team can make a big run, but I don't want to just kill myself about it. And believe me, I could. I could look at the net ranking of 103. 103 in February in the net. We are the third. Only two teams in the Big Ten are lower than us, Rutgers and Michigan, and one of those has beaten us. (laughs) <laughs> in Bartorvik, we are ranked 87 with the 89th ranked offense and the 91st ranked defense. In Kenpom, we are ranked uh, 99th overall, 99th in Kenpom, and 101 in offense, 100 in defense. It is staggering. We've never, we've never talked about these numbers. Before in, in, in this podcast, maybe you back in the early Crean years, you were paying attention to these numbers. I were not, I didn't know they existed. This is uncharted territory for how bad this effing program is. Yes, it is uncharted except for year two of Crean. Yeah. Like that's what we're talking about. <laughs> like, you know, being- it is worse than year three of cream. <laughs> and we, and we just ignore those first three years because it was all rebuilt. Even the third year was so bad. We just kind of ignore that one because we were giving him that time to bring it out of the depths. Word. Yeah. That team went three and 15 in the big 10. <laughs> and by the statistical measurements, that team was statistically significantly better than the product on the court this year. And I have trouble understanding it for this reason. When you look at Malik Renew's stats, mm-hmm. you go, those are really good. When you look at Khalil Ware's stats, you go, those are really good. When you look at um, Mackenzie and Baco's stats as a freshman, you go, those are pretty good. <laughs> when you look at Trey Galloway's stats, not three-point shooting, but I'm just talking about like rebounds and uh, um, points. He's like right at 10 points or something. Like, wow, that's pretty good. Now, granted, 
Gabe's stats are like zeros. I mean, there's nothing, and there's nothing really coming off the bench. But that I, I have trouble squaring all those really good and pretty goods to being this bad. Ward, 100 in, 103rd in the net. There's only 80 power five teams. <laughs> okay? Like, it is, it is unfathomably bad. And I want to read something from a former player, and I'm not going to say who it was, and no, it was not Brian Evans. But they actually said that Malik's stats were totally misleading. And they said that they are empty stats and empty numbers. And I don't know if that's true, and I don't even really know what it means, but I go back to it is very hard for me to square being 103rd with the performances that Malik, McKenzie, and Khalil have given us. Why are we so bad? Yeah. And I know everybody talks about the guards, right? I, I get it. Yeah. But like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but, but like, it's the thing. And, 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 but it can't be the only thing. I mean, it just can't be the only thing. Well, I mean, you've already touched on it on the bench. On the guards, you know, when you're getting no production from these from these positions really whatsoever, an occasional good game by Gallo, you know, obviously X is persona non grata really for the season at this point. It's kind of like, damn, that season was just like the season that never was. Uh, but we've talked about this, the, the sum being less than the parts. And when you have three five stars that, to your point, are all doing well, and those are the guys really, I mean, look, I like to see Gallo go off. I like to see Gabe start to come on, but it's really seeing Mac and Khalil come into their own. Khalil's really been there all season, but compared to his freshman year, you see Mac come on, and then you see Malik take that step we all expected from him to take. That's what I'm kind of tuning in for now because I know there's it's not a team. There's no chemistry. There's no alchemy. There's no leadership. All these intangibles, along with tangibles like mm, free throw shooting, uh, it just it's like, okay, you've got three really good players, and you're not doing anything with them i don't get why malik's stats are are empty i don't understand that i don't i'm gonna try to probe that in free throw um shooting we are 320th in the country in free throw percentage we are 24th in the country in getting to the free throw line well that seems backwards uh three-point shooting look the truth is we're not a good three-point shooting team we're 32.9. The average is 34.1. We don't take a lot of threes, obviously. We're 347th in the country. Um, but to me, what you said, the sum, the, the whole is somehow less than the sum of the parts. It's not even equaling the sum of the parts. No. And that is the most alarming thing. And I, I'm going to... Keep this conversation somewhat confidential, except for the content of it, but I won't say who said it. But I was talking to a coach who was saying that, like, it's not on Woody. It's not on Woody. It's on the players. Like, where is the player accountability? Where is the player accountability? That sounds like a coach's opinion. Yeah, but it's funny because I said to, like, I said to him, like, what is this? Like a a cop during Serpico's time? 
like you know the thin blue line like you can't the blue wall like you can't critique a coach but I mean and I totally disagree with that assessment because in the end the the coach is the one getting millions of dollars and the coach decides which players he wants to recruit and then develops them or not like totally. yes you can miss on a couple and 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 sometimes it's not on the coach you did all the work and a guy just isn't right and just doesn't fit and screws up in college and the college life screws him up and he does he decides to get into drinking and drugs or girls and partying and worried about the wrong things and doesn't work as hard as you thought that he was going to work. That isn't on you all the time. But but this is now a pattern that we are seeing, obviously. So it is, I believe, 100% on the coach. Well, because you you, if a player has a bad game, doesn't execute what the coach wanted, you know, to your point, a, a player as a whole does not work out. That can happen too. And that's on the player, but you've got 13 scholarships. You've got, you've got years at this point. If we're talking about our, our present regime of figuring out who you want in and how they all work together and how they all support each other, you know, to your point about the Pacers, number one scoring bench in the league, just saying you, you've had a chance to really go to, in some cases, three deep at these positions. And if one guy's hurt, or if one guy is a head case or whatever it else it is, that could take, you could lose a game. You could lose a couple games. You could, instead of winning the big 10, you could maybe end up in third or fourth, but ultimately this is systemic. This is sort of top to bottom. This thing is like broken right now. And we got one kid, one kid coming in next year who can shoot and we're losing at least two or three of our very best players off of this team. So wh- where does it get better? Yeah, no, that is the question. And that, that is the the biggest um, disappointment and the biggest trepidation is just looking forward and going, how does this get better? And luckily you and I don't have to make that call. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, but I don't know. I'd like to make that call. Yeah, it's, it's – uh, it's rough. And I, too, I will say this, there is too much money spent on Indiana basketball for this return of investment for this return on investment. It's, it's unacceptable. It just is. I mean, if you were, if you are doing a analysis of the business of Indiana basketball, and as long as you're not saying that making money is the ultimate goal of Indiana basketball, if winning is the ultimate goal of Indiana basketball, then the return on investment sucks and it, and it is unacceptable. And if it was being studied in a business sense, you would get rid of the leadership of that to try something new because it's not working. Now, many will point to two years of making the tournament as, as return on investment. And it's true. Those were better than the four years before it. Barely. Well, no, look, barely. Archie would have made it his third year if it wasn't for COVID. Okay, but last year we went 12-8 and eight in the Big Ten and finished tied for the second-best record in the Big Ten. Archie never had a winning record in the Big Ten. Now, granted, it's only 12-8, and eight, so That's you're only two I'm games away. Barely over 500. It's two games over 500. I mean, I know 11-9. Well, it's and nine four eight, games over But it's really, but you're a 10 and, if you're a 10-10, and 10, oh, you're just winning two games instead of losing two games. Come you're on. right. 
Come you're on. right. It's it. You're right. It's not good enough. It, it's just flat out not good enough. And look, I'm not trying to use our critique of it. Mike Woodson said when he got here, and he reiterated it multiple times, including I think on our podcast before this year started. He's here to win Big Ten and national championships. That's the bar. That's the bar that was expected of him. That is the bar that we as fans expect, and that's the bar that he expects. We are no closer, and obviously we are further away from Big Ten championships and national championships than at any point that this program has been at in, I don't know, a long time, since 2017, well, since 2016. That's what it appears to to be. And that is depressing and sad and unacceptable. And I have a belief that the powers that be know that and are feeling that. One last thing I'd like to say is every team, every program has injuries every year. Okay. We've had one should be significant player, whether he'd been healthy all season or not, whether his impact would have been positive or not, very much remains to be seen if he gets healthy and what kind of impact he has. But I'm sorry, like, after a game like that, to be talking publicly about how your team hasn't been healthy since, like, the Harvard game, and, like, that's what we're talking about? Sorry. No. 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 Injuries are not the reason this team sucks. I totally agree with you. Totally. It's become too many excuses, too many excuses. I will say this about Doyle, though, because I know Doyle wrote an article. Here's what pisses me off about Doyle. I took a screenshot of it and saved it. So he wrote an article, you know, he uh, several weeks ago, he wrote an article slamming the substitution patterns, you know, of like doing the line changes. Right. And then is taking credit for those going away. (laughs) So here's what he wrote. Yesterday, he wrote, IU fans seem done with Mike Woodson after this blowout loss to Penn State at Assembly Hall, and they have a point. I'd add, I'm done with Mike Woodson. There's no coming back after this column. And then he writes a column shitting all over Woody. Okay? Then, today, he wrote, Woodson stopped using his second unit after somebody finally wrote how silly that was. I wonder if he'll stop taking credit for the good and blaming others for the bad after this one. Seems like nobody else will tell him the truth. I'll try. Doyle, do me a favor. Just take a couple steps back from your computer typing, just a couple, lean over, and shove your head up your fucking ass. Like, <laughs> what what world do you think it's cool that, like, you are making yourself the, the, the story? You're the savior of Indiana basketball? You're the only one who critiqued substitution patterns? We've been critiquing them, and so has the entire fan base for three years, you mealy-mouthed keyboard, keyboard warrior piece of shit. Like, honestly, he makes himself the story in every opportunity that he can. Oh, he's the one that got Woody to change. And now he's going to put on the cape and he's going to get Woody to change his demeanor. No one else is critiquing Woody. No one. 
except Greg Dumbass Doyle. I'm sorry. It makes me sick to my stomach when these holier-than-thou journalists pretend that they've cracked the code and make themselves the story. It's horseshit. It's it's just ugly. What's this guy's name? Craig Boyle? Yeah, I have not read his stuff. I've heard a lot of people be like, Craig Boyle's like a total idiot. And I hate him. He seems to be like the the Dan Dockage of the written word. So I just <laughs> stay as far away from, from this Boyle guy as possible. It is funny because he went after Dockage last year, like in a major way, like, oh, he's going to take him down. And now they have like a beef. They're the same person. He's a, he's a real Upton Sinclair of the Indiana basketball scene. <laughs> yeah, they're the same people. I, I just It makes me sick. So the truth is we're all just in bad moods overall and looking <laughs> for somebody to take it out on. So, which is why, again, on this podcast, we're going to the to the la-la happy world of IU soccer, where we can at least bask in success and a well-run program that is the envy of the rest of the college athletics world. We're a soccer school. <laughs> and a football school now. That's uh, right. So, you know, we talked to Jerry Yagley, which was an honor, and we got to air that podcast um, not last week, but the week before. And it only makes sense to continue that lineage in today's podcast. So it's an honor to do this one as well. What do you say we get to it? Football is life. Here comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's always really cool and super fun to talk to somebody who is the very best at what they do. But when that person does that for Indiana University, it makes it extra cool. Eric, who is this gentleman we have with us here today? Hailing, and I love being able to say this, from Bloomington, Indiana where, of course, he was exposed to winning at the highest levels in the sport of soccer from a very early age. And when it was time to choose his school, he went to Indiana University, where on the soccer team, he was second team All-American his first three years at Indiana. He was first team All-American his senior year. The Missouri Athletic Club named him as the player of the year. He competed in the 1993 World University Games. He then signed with Major League Soccer as they were starting to kick off their league. He played for the Richmond Kickers and won the league and U.S. Open, uh, uh, Open Cup titles. He was then drafted into the MLS with their inaugural draft. He was selected by the Columbus crew. He went on to play seven years as a defender with the crew, retiring following the 2002 season, where it just kind of timed out with another thing happening at Indiana where Coach Jerry Yeagley had announced that he was going to finish up his all-time great career. And our guest today joined him, happened to be his dad, but he joined him for that one year where they, of course, win the national title, the last season of the Jerry Yeagley era, he was, I believe, a non-paid assistant that year. I want to get into that. We're going to talk about that. They win the NCAA title. Then the next year, he's hired as a full-time assistant. They win the NCAA title again. After a few years at Indiana, he goes and takes his first head coaching job at Wisconsin, where he realized it was real shitty and cold and got the hell out of there <laughs> a year later when he became the IU head coach. He has been in his tenure at IU 
the Big Ten Coach of the Year four times, five-time Big Ten Tournament champions. He has reached the College Cup five times. He has won national title. He is in the Indiana Soccer Hall of Fame, the Monroe County Hall of Fame, IU Athletics Hall of Fame, 2012 Soccer America Coach of the Year. Since he became coach at Indiana, no Division I men's soccer coach has more wins or College Cup appearances than our guest today. We are talking about none other than the best in the game right now, and the only reason we can't say goat yet is because of his old man. Please welcome <laughs> Coach Todd Yeagley. That was, that was nice. Thanks, Eric. Ah, well, there you I go. Feel man. Great. So, oh, I, I can go home right now and take a nap. <laughs> I feel good. That was so, great, Coach. Uh, man, there's so much to talk about. Let's just pick up like with what's going on right now as you prepare for next season. You're coming off of a season where. You know, difficulties at the beginning of the year, you really caught fire at the end. You run through the Big Ten tournament and win the championship in the Big Ten, which I don't think was totally expected going into that, which then sets up a nice run in the NCAA tournament and just so close to beating Notre Dame and making it, you know, to that to that next stage at the College Cup that you want to be at. But what's it look like right now? What's taking up your time and how's the team looking for next year? Uh, yeah, thanks. First, thanks again for having me, guys. This is great. And uh, as we spoke quickly off there, the 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 podcast with my father was amazing. Uh-huh. So to go down memory lane was um, I, I. It's like I I know most of the story, but I learn a little something new every time he talks. He'll throw another new thing out. But um, but yes, to your question, we uh, we're, we're diligently recruiting. We're, we're reloading. We call it reloading. Um, because we need to be back fighting for titles. So recruiting is of, of the four, uh, forefront. Um, the uh, transfers, obviously late ads in our 24 class, which is still a, a possibility. Um, you know, one of our, our last defenders of the year in the conference, two-time and a two-time All-American, uh, Daniel Muni was literally recruited just two weeks ago in his senior year. And you just never know how they're going to, when they're going to come, and how they'll come, but it reminds me of like, you're qu- never quite done with recruiting. Um, so recruiting is a big part. We're training. Uh, the guys are we're obviously maximizing our hours that we have. And uh, we're preparing with a lot of projects. This, this time of year is like project time, things you can't do in the fall with just the game cadence. So we, we as the staff, we get busier now than maybe even the fall because we, we do have a little more time. And the next thing I know, I'm like, my wife's going, why are you still at the office at eight o'clock? You, it's, you don't have a game for a while. Um, what do you mean? What do you mean by projects? Can yeah. you explain that a little bit to us? It, it could be just cleaning up like the way we look at our training uh, activities, like on video, on paper. Um, it could be our scheduling for future years. We do that. Like we do our own scheduling Scott Dolson and Steven don't do our scheduling. So how we kind of look at our you know, RPI and how we outlook our team, um, we're looking at doing, you know, new IDP programs with our players. So we're constantly kind of revamping, you know, how we're developing and what we're giving our players. Um, and why video- for, for people that may not know, not like us, because we're real smart, why don't you tell everybody out there what IDP stands for? <laughs> An individual development development plan. development so, plan. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. IDP. So IDP. IDP. So we're we're trying to just, just make our everyday uh operation cleaner. And it's like can I you kind of do a deep dive and I'll look at kind of all of our 
like staff duties and say, okay, what do we, what could we do that we just don't have time to do in August and September and through the season? And we kind of dig in and go, okay, what could we do better? What things could we change? So it, it could go all over the board. We're doing a lot of fundraising, a lot of alumni relations, um, a lot of just phone calls, quite honestly, with, you know, this is also a time where our players are making their way into the pros. So we're kind of checking in on them. Um, every day is so unique, guys. I, I got the coolest job. I mean, it, you guys have a cool job. I mean, you guys do some cool things. It's every day is different, right? Right. I love that in what we do. It's, um, yeah, just just a lot, a lot of probably things that I could probably leave at the office and say, I'll get to it tomorrow, but I get kind of going on it. And it's like, okay, I, I love what I do. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, we love what we do, especially when it's doing this. Um, but what let, what's your your favorite part of the off season, and what's your least favorite part of the off season? The the favorite right now is like take today. I mean, we're we're down in the weight room, um, and then we finish up, and our guys are kind of you know hanging out in there for a little bit. They don't have class for a couple hours. They're, they're heading to lunch just to kind of chill with the guys and you know, I spent 25 minutes after the lift, we were just joking around in the weight room, talking about just different stuff. Um, nothing to do with the game, quite honestly, maybe came back to it. You don't get to do that a lot, like in the season mode, you, you do it, but it's different. Maybe on a road trip or on the bus, but I love that part. So I'll go to lunch and just spend a half hour with the guys over at Tobias. And that's a fun part of my day. And you do, you, you want to talk about things that aren't, you know, kicking a ball and what position and what role they have, but checking in on, you know, how things are going. We got girlfriend drama. We got new, new cool clothes. I'm trying to stay up with the current trends. So I'm watching what they're wearing. So I might, you know, talk about what the, the, the cool outfit is on the day to everything. I love that part. And then the most difficult part is that we don't have a game as quickly as we would want. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say meaningful games, our spring games are meaningful because we play tough teams. We try to go to places that have a little atmosphere. So we'll go to a youth tournament and kind of play it like the featured night. We'll get two, 3,000 fans, for instance, like when we play Notre Dame up at Grand Park, the, at the beautiful indoor complex. But it's not the same fully. And so, you know, not to get into kind of our big push for kind of the Division One top programs, but we really would be loving to have a two semester model. And I hope we get there and we would just kind of spread our whole season out and play instead of our compressed fall season. And, you know, we still train, we're doing everything the same, like during the the spring, I'm, I'm still, like I said, I'm working as many hours, but keep the games continuing going. So have a split season and we would just play a 10 month season. And it does, I know you guys follow soccer a bit. I mean, it follows the cadence of the rest of the world where most of them are a 10 month season and it's just spreads out. So that's another big project. How many games would you play? Would you stay with the similar? Same it'd be games? like 20. So we have 25 games that we can play over the academic year. 20 of them are in your, your fall season, mm. 20 being regular season. And then your postseason could take you another five or six. And then you're guaranteed five friendlies. Right. In the spring. You could do double headers. You technically could play, you know, two games in a day. Um, it's just five play dates. And we don't do usually a double header, so we'll just play one game and maybe we'll play longer and give more guys kind of a chance because it's a great development time. And also, where's our depth? Like, we got to get ready and we're throwing guys in positions that 
we can't do in the fall because we're prepping for the next game. I'm looking at 15, 16 guys. Although we're coaching 29 field players, I can't quite experiment when we got two days to get ready for a game on, hey, Johnny could be a left back in two years. Let's put him there in training. We got to put what playing tomorrow. So the spring gives us that. Um, got it. So it, it will experiment. But if you if you went to the new model within within the 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 tournaments, the championships be in the spring? Correct. Yeah. yeah so yeah, so yes. then you're not yes. freezing your ass off in the snow for a championship game. Yeah. It would be we we you know when you look at some of the quarterfinal crowds and some of the great home crowds in college soccer, it doesn't get showcased enough in our tournament, in particular our college cup. Look at some of the other sports. It's sometimes an anomaly how big their championship is compared to their actual crowds in the regular season. Take a lacrosse. I mean, volleyball does pretty well, but they really blow it up in the tournament. Um, you could even look at, um, you know, a wrestling. I mean, those those things are sellouts. But you just look at some wrestling, there's maybe 500 people there. Right. So we need to make our championship more relevant. In good weather, we we wouldn't be fighting football with with you know airtime. We play on the weekends as well, so we play one game a week on the weekends. We'd have a really good train rhythm. We'd stop around Thanksgiving, take kind of a winter break, kind of reboot when the school starts again, kind of go into kind of like a preseason mode. Start the games in February and go until May June, and uh, it'd be phenomenal. So. I could talk a lot about that, but that's yeah, that's, that's cool. That's I love getting into this mind. stuff. I, I wanted to ask you another kind of soccer from a thirty thousand foot level question. Um, MLS has obviously exploded in recent years in in America, and there's an increased popularity there. I, I have friends out here. It's big in LA. You know, um, MLS is big. Soccer is a big high school sport out here and club sport. But has the success of MLS? impacted your recruiting because I know they sign kids real young, you know, and, and I think trying to get more into like the European and rest of the world model. Are you finding recruiting harder because you're now recruiting against MLS as well? Or is, is the college game and MLS somehow in conjunction with each other in a way I'm just not familiar with? Yes. I think the best way to look at it is the, the players that you would have seen play when you were here at school, 98, 99, um, take a Pat Newton, who's the head coach at Cincinnati you know, you know, Pat would have, he'd be at college maybe a year instead of three or in Nick Garcia. Um, he'd be, and some of them may not go to college, the the top of the tops, but certainly in Ned Grabboy who played after that era. But that 97, 98, 99 team, you know, there was a lot of pros. They might just stay in college shorter mm-hmm. or they bypass and, and sign a, a homegrown contract if they're part of, in your case, LA Galaxy or LAFC. Right. So we are, in, in essence, we're just another pathway. So we have to find out what path does this player want? So we can't spin our wheels on this top kid. And then at the last minute, all of a sudden he signs pro in June or July. That's that's killer for us. Because then we, so we almost have to find out what's the right, maybe late bloomer is the family and the kid. Like, I'm going to go to college for a couple of years. And then I'd be interested in signing. We have some of those. So it's but there's way- no mechanism, Todd, in MLS where a kid can get drafted or sign a deal with an MLS team and they just retain his rights as he goes to college for a couple of years. That doesn't happen. It's changing as we speak. So this year was the first year you can draft an underclassman starting their sophomore year and, and you basically just get their rights. Oh, okay. Patrick McDonald from our team is a good example. He's a junior. 
he's he wants to finish he's got his degree in the fall he wants to finish out the club the clubs all knew that so he was going to come back they just now own his rights so it's like a deferred um and so he'll then join toronto next year in the preseason and he he won't be in the draft he's already he's already a right. an mls owned entity um so that's happening but the the kids that are homegrowns that are that's the term we use for an lafc academy player they go off to college they still own their rights through all of college and can pull them back at any time oh not, it's not like baseball where you have to do it you know was it before the freshman or junior year yeah it could be right after this freshman season i mean aiden morris was a freshman with us in 19 he's now starting or one of the, the the he's a key player for columbus crew team i played for and he was the youngest um player to start in an mls final in the COVID season when they beat seattle oh. aiden played one season for us hmm. and crew said we're ready to sign him when we recruited aiden it was like a one to two year plan like we really didn't know but he said i'm going to come for at least a season and then you're kind of just you're, you're so talk about your job like you're talking to these clubs going hey where, where are we with so and so are you still looking to sign them i mean you're constantly wow your your, your roster is as fluid as it can get do and, you stay away from some kids because you just don't want to deal with the uncertainty because you just don't have that they may be great talent and good enough for your roster but you've got to worry about the continuity that you're going to have going forward. And so you'd rather have a guaranteed three-year kid as opposed to a great one-year kid potentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what we do is we'll, we'll, it depends on the need and the timing. So maybe it's a position that we just, we can't, we have to get this player to show up. And if it's the B plus, we might call it of the player, we'll take them knowing the A minus may not show up or the A. And sometimes the difference isn't really big. So it's not a huge game changer. And then we get some kids where we maybe hold some space, some aid, a roster spot for a transfer, or we call them the late deciders. It's the kid that's thought was on the pro track. And then all of a sudden it's spring of their senior year of high school in, in theory. And the club says, we're not ready to sign you. So they'll either sign them to a second team which is still a pro contract, mm -hmm. or they'll say, hey, go to college and we'll keep monitoring you. So one of our recent really good goalkeepers, Trey Muse, who helped us get to College mm -hmm. Cup, he he was was Seattle homegrown. And he, we didn't start talking to Trey until April of his senior year because he was going to sign. And then things changed. Goalie situation, their GM said, hey, Trey, we're not going to sign you yet. Let, you know, you can sign a second team or go to college and we'll track you. And then two seasons later, they sign them. They basically them sign them as homegrown and bring it back. Got it. Uh, so it's 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 tricky. I mean, I love it, but it, it sometimes I look. I just shake my head. I'm like, our roster management is so unique compared to other sports. Totally, in particular. So wow. it's it's as fluid as it gets um, with roster. We're yeah. living in such a different age. You know, this internet thing that wasn't really around when we were coming up. You've got kids growing up in this country who can watch the Premier League. They can just, you know, turn on turn on the television and see the best players in the best leagues in the world. Are you seeing there are more talented homegrown players now? I think when you think about the NBA and how many uh, Europeans we have coming in now because they were exposed to the NBA like with the Dream Team. And now right. for the last couple of generations, you really see this influx is that's is that what's now happening 
in America with soccer, where actually the talent level here and the amount of it is considerably larger than when we were growing up? It's better. It absolutely is. And that's why we see the parity. So MLS and the academies are driving the talent. It's pushing the game in a great place. I'm, I mean, I love what our league's done. It's changed. We needed our league. And if it means we lose a player here and there, for the better of the game, it's what needs to happen. Mm. But whatever, that makes all these B players, if you want to put it that way. And my dad might even rest, reference on your podcast. And, you know, when I was a player in the 90s, you could find kind of the guy on the other team. It's like he was weak, you know. Right. You don't find them anymore. Mm. There's no weak players and that's what's made college soccer. So one competitive and why the parity continues to grow because the MLS academies and the club system and just kind the soccer and development's better than it was 20 years ago. But in particular, the, the, the real push is the MLS. I mean, these people are putting amazing money infrastructure. I mean, these kids that before they get to us, I mean, they, they have as much resources they have here. At 15. I mean, they'll travel with, I think, a masseuse, a two trainers. I mean, this is a youth field. And the, you look on the sideline, there's like 20 staff members. I'm like, wow. I mean, when I was in MLS, we, our goalie coach was was volunteering from Dayton. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, guys, I feel like I'm going to be on that like NFL like stories when it's like back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> you do, when, if you want to find some stories, go to the athletic posted someone a couple years ago and we had a great it was fun for us kind of original mls guys and it was the stories of what happened and the things that we did or had to do or training sites or travel to compare to 25 years later plus it's a it's a different it's a different planet wow that's great you so were it, you were back in the fugawi days of the mls yes yes <laughs> we, yeah and, but, and we weren't chartering, um, so we <laughs> right. really didn't know where we were going sometimes. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, I I feel I was lucky to be in that era. One, I don't think I was good enough to play today. I, I don't know. Maybe I would be better if I, right. the upbringing. I mean, yeah, it's all, and the training like, that exists yeah, now. You know. Honestly, these people, these guys are really good. And and the league just keeps getting better in, in the, 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 the level. That's why going back to the college, it's going to be so much harder every year for the young American player to break in right. because our league is spending more money. They're bringing more top internationals. It's hard. And so I think what will happen is that our relevance could even become bigger because we're going to be a, a unique pathway. We're 35% international division one. Why that is, is because the rest of the world has figured out that the American college soccer um, pathway is the best way outside of a pro contract to, to be able to get an education and play a high level soccer. Mm -hmm. So we have all these internationals wanting to come here from everywhere because they're like, we, we don't have this system in their country. They can't play high level soccer and get an education. Mm, right. they're, Cause they're totally separate entities, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, you can't pull it off. It's not synergized. So we have like, that's why we could just keep getting better and better. Cause we have a product in the, I mean, and, and like, you know, you, you guys have seen our facility. I mean, we rival pro teams with some of the things we have. Wow. Because we have a budget and an infrastructure because of all what football and all that, everything else that brings in that we all benefit from that. And so it, it's, it, it's a really interesting model that we have. 
in in the fact that that's why the international keeps coming. You know what they see? They see all their buddies, and there's too many stories of who didn't make it, mm-hmm. and they don't want to be left with only plan you know plan A, which was soccer. They want plan B and C, which obviously your education can give you besides all the other elements that you can, you can get. So um, international, it's going to keep growing. That's Um, great. Well, let's take a a little trip back down memory lane and start at the beginning of your life. You're born in 1972, which coincides with a pretty pretty special time in the history of IU soccer. Because right at that time, your dad had been fighting the good fight to get IU soccer to move from a club sport to a varsity sport. And 1973, you being all of one year old, was the first time that IU had a varsity soccer team. What is your earliest memory of soccer in your life? Yeah. Um, being over at um, Memorial Stadium on the turf and it like like being like, like hot, because that thing got hot down there. Yes. You know, five, six years old, and I'm just running around, you know, chasing balls and like, you know, trying to like basically like find the older guys to 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 kick with me. I mean, that's really what in essence it was. I didn't have an older brother, and that the team was that for me. So I couldn't get enough of it. Like every practice I could go to, if I my school like timed up with practice, I'm there and I'm just running around trying to kick a ball and have someone play with me. That's what I remember. And man, they were awesome to me. They were really, really good to me, but also like what big brothers would do. They kicked the crap out of me. Right. Well, probably helped make you the player that you became. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I learned uh, things I probably shouldn't have learned at certain ages, (laughs) um, which was also entertaining. Um, Sure. (laughs) Sure. I might have said some things to my parents like, what? What? What's that? I'm going to get you around, get you away from the team. Um, So it was, uh, it was amazing. I, the, the childhood that I had, you know, loving the sport that your dad coaches, like I had, the, I mean, you literally could not have a better childhood and Bloomington's an awesome place to, to grow up. I mean, I could go through the whole thing, but so, yeah. So being over at Memorial stadium where they played on that freaking, I mean, it was the old turf on top of cement. Yeah. And I don't know how these guys even have knees left to play in the seventies, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that, those are my early memories. And then, I would go on road trips and um, just always around it. My parents, I mean, my parents were so vested that, you know, we were there with my father. My mother was vested. My, you know, my sister was around and she, even though she had different hobbies and she wasn't a soccer player, um, we all were around it. You couldn't avoid it. I mean, this is to be a coach. Your family has to have buy-in to really make it work. Um, It's like running a restaurant. I would say like, you can't just disappear. Right. You got to be present and you got to be, it's your product. So, yeah. So it was your birthright, your destiny, if you will. But do you remember a moment where you took ownership of it for yourself? Was there a time in your development realizing that you yourself are turning into a really good soccer player where you, you were just like, I, I love this myself. I'm going to make this uh, a big part of my life moving forward as, as my own decision, not because it's what was given to me or expected of me. Yeah. And I mean, my dad was amazing when it came. I mean, he never asked once, like, did you train today? Did you, you know, 
he was very hands off and, and honestly encouraged me to play other sports, which I, I think is important, honestly, for young kids development. I say that all the time, even to some of our recruits that are two sport athletes, like I say, stay with the other sport. I'm okay with it. Mm. Um, you know, I played basketball, I played hockey as a kid. And my dad was never like, well, you know, you need to play soccer. That's the only thing you need to do. It was not that. He knew, coaches know that if it's not driven by the player, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Probably was probably concerned I'd be burned out because I'm always around it. Mm -hmm. So he downplayed, never coached me, never pushed me. Um, I don't remember kicking in the yard with him, like what dads might do. Like he, it was almost like he kind of avoided the pressure of like playing soccer. And it was all on me on what whether I wanted to do it. And we didn't talk about playing for him until really later in maybe junior year, honestly. It was when it was kind of like a real conversation. Um, I kind of took off maybe around 14 and, you know, started to make some some kind of regional teams and kind of part of a youth national team. I was kind of an alternate for the U-17 national team. I made the U-20s. So I was starting to kind of break through. And I think at that point I realized, like, I think I'm going to be good enough. But there still was a doubt, you yeah. know, because I really didn't, you know, I, I I wanted to make sure I could do it. And I think probably the sophomore to junior kind of year of high school is when some of the things I was doing with outside teams, I started to realize, okay, I'm on the path. This could work. And then from there it was, I do remember like one specific conversation with my dad when it was, we were eating the mustards. Remember mustards? I oh, yeah. loved mustards. Yeah. Oh, the, the I think mustards is the first restaurant I ever ate at in Bloomington as a kid. Didn't you love those cheese sticks? Loved them. Oh, loved yeah. them. So we're eating cheese sticks and mustards. And he kind of gives me like, it was like the talk, you know, like that talk, <laughs> not about the birds and the bees, but like, okay, <laughs> we, we would want you to play here. And it was like a really interesting. Yeah, he's we, recruiting you. He was kind but it was also like, there was really no other choice either at that point. <laughs> I mean, he did not say, like, do you want to go look other places? <laughs> and there was two or three of his peers that did send me things in the mail. Obviously, everything was coming through the mail. So I would get a couple of things, and a couple of them were pretty persistent. They were probably more colleagues that probably felt comfortable to do that. And they were like, hey, Jerry, if he's not going to play for you, we'd love to. So a couple of them did kind of actively recruit, but not nearly what probably I would have gotten knowing that association. So I never took a recruiting trip. I was, I was, I was, I mean, I'm just glad I made a good decision. Cause I didn't, he wasn't, she didn't show me anything else. Right. right. <laughs> I didn't need to see anything else. It was never about, I mean, my dream was to play in Indiana. I mean, that's, you know, I was always wanting to be, and there was no pro league guys, you know, that, I mean, NESL right. was folded. It was really the, the indoor league was really kind of the, the, the top dog in, in that era. Um, it, so it was, yeah, to me, it was like play college soccer. And then who knows what happens after that? I didn't think I was going to be a pro. I didn't even know, like, I, I, you can see it. There's nothing on TV. There's no MLS to, to look at. No, um, no dreams of playing for the Chicago Sting? Well, I do remember going to Sting games, but yeah. that was gone at the time. I was like of the age to really like, so yeah, I was, you know, I was young. I was 10, 11 years old. We'd go to the, we'd go over to, um, you know, um, the baseball stadium in Chicago, the, um, the Wrigley? yeah, Wrigley and watch a game. And and I'd go over to St. Louis, Eric. And Did you ever go see the steamers? Yeah. I mean, they'd sell that place out. I know. I went to the steamers games at the checker dome. 
Yeah. I mean, the mid eighties, that place was rocking. I know. Slobo Slavinsky, I think was the name of the goalie. (laughs) Yes, I do remember. Yeah. There was those guys. Slobo was good. They were legends like in the, in, in the U S really was the indoor league, but I didn't have anything to emulate. So college soccer IU was what, you know, what I wanted to do. And, um, and yeah, those are like all those guys are my heroes. And so like it was surreal to really finally kind of punch through and find myself in the uniform. Yeah, and, it's uh, I, I'm I'm really curious about the dynamic, and I want to get into this more when you become the coach, but you know, your dad obviously takes it from club to varsity, has trouble getting over the hump for a few years, then finally does against Duke. I think you're probably about 10 years old when that happens. Mm-hmm. Eight overtime game. Do you remember that championship? Oh, yeah, like vividly. Give us give us that yeah. memory for you. Where were you? What I mean, was it like? Was um, and I could visualize where I'm sitting in Lockhart Stadium. I, I mean, because I played in Lockhart Stadium as a pro, ironically. Mm-hmm. So it was really weird to kind of go full circle. But um, oh, I remember that game. I mean, it. I remember moments of the game. Um, at ten years old, I watched every game, guys. I sat up high, and I didn't sit in the bench. I was like the one thing my dad from like that was a sneaky play. Because it's there was a part of me that was like, "Hey, Dad, can I come sit in the bench?" And he's like, "Well, yeah, you know, maybe here." He's like, "You you might want to watch it up high." Oh, <laughs> and and that was his way of going. That's how you learn the game. Learn the game. Watch it from a high vantage and see the movement. And and my best skill set was probably my IQ and my technique. But IQ probably more so. And that's probably how I learned it by watching wow. the game a lot and playing a lot. But so, yeah, I remember that game vividly. I remember the 78. I remember the final fours. 76, I don't recall very well. 78 and 80, I definitely remember. I remember being in Tampa when we gave up the the lead and lost in overtime. And, like, just how, like, you know, you're a, you know, what am I, a, an eight-year-old kid who's just, like, crying like I lost my pet. Right. Right. These are like these are these are my hero that that late seventies and the early eighties group, those were like that was the most impressionable era. Sure. Because right? I mean I'm seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. These people I understand them. I can talk to them. Those those, those guys are so important too, and I'm very close to a lot of them still today because um, they're still connected. It's amazing. But and what do you I remember do about them. the moment in '82 of actually winning that championship? Just chaos. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I mean, we're just hugging. I mean, I'm, I'm hugging people I don't even know. I mean, with all these people and you're just, it's like, I was like crowd surfing. Um, I probably was, I don't know. And I remember getting out on the field. That was amazing. I remember that. Um, I remember having to go to the bathroom pretty bad at one point in that overtime, to be honest with you. Yeah. That was vivid memory because I was rushed <laughs> back. I don't want to miss the game. I mean, these are just things that kind of flood into my head, but so great, great. I, I, I think of you from that vantage point up top. And when you hear it called the beautiful game, I'm wondering if that's when that all starts to click for you. You're not on the the, the turf as a little kid battling it out with your big heroes. You're seeing that perspective. Your dad wanted you to see what about it is beautiful to you. Well, there, there's so much you know, it, it's a player's game for one And so much sport is, you know, a, the play, the timeout, the, this reset, I mean, it, which is amazing how important that is. And I, I have a lot of, I, I love watching other sports. I'm a fan of sport, but 
the 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 freedoms that you have in the game and yet the roles and the context and how you're able to play against so many different styles and although that is exists in other sports the, how you can imprint and be successful in different ways i found really in, interesting um as a kind of a young observer of the game yeah. and you know i loved um, you know, you know, imagine the 78 and the 82 World Cup were just like vivid memories in kind of my youth in, in the Diego Maradona and, you know, the, the, the end of the Pelé era. So I had all these amazing kind of world stages to look at. And, um, you know, I love the things they could do with the ball. So I spent a lot of time with the ball. You know, I'm, again, my technique was pretty good, certainly for, you know, an American player. Um, I, had to, I had to evolve in my game because I had to learn to be more of a defender and tough guy because if not i wouldn't have survived mm. in the pros so i had to evolve my game but back to your question or the, the beautiful game was just how the, the the freedoms that you have in the decision making everyone's the quarterback for that moment mm, well, that's a great way of talking you know, about and, it and what you do is a huge impact one moment that turnover that that pass the decision when to dribble when not to um might lead to the goal might give up the goal is, is just to me is a beautiful part of, of the game and and just all the physicalities that you have to do. Um, I think it's one of the most complete kind of like aerobic anaerobic challenges that you have when you cover the distance and yet have to have the high intensity sprints. And I mean, we run like crazy as you guys have watched. And that was amazing to me too, um, to kind of watch how much, the constant movement and, and yeah, the, just the endurance of it is just yeah. marvelous. I mean, it's so impressive. So I wanted to get back to, so your dad, your dad's like championship runs, basically, if I'm not mistaken, half of them came before you were a player for Indiana. And then the other half came after you were a player. When did your dad in your eyes become Jerry Yeagley, like, you know, for the rest of the world, he became mm -hmm. a legend while he was coaching. And, and that clearly happened probably sometime after his third championship sometime, like basically mm -hmm. when you were playing for him, he becomes this larger than life, greatest of all time coach. Do you remember him ever being that for you? Or was he always just dad? Um, he, he was really good at being dad. I would say that, um, you know, it is he's not like he had all these crazy hobbies. We our hobby is our sport and what we love doing. So it wasn't like, hey, it wasn't like, son, let's go fishing today and let's go out back and look on look work on one of our wood projects. So let's build some sail ships. I mean, no, it wasn't that. We'd kind of I just loved we loved the game together. Yeah. So that was our bond. And and so you know, when it when it comes to like the separation of like knowing how big my father was. Yeah. Um, I think it was more when I would go to national conventions and you would walk with him or be around him and you realize like what impact and he's made for so long in the, uh -huh. in the, the relationships he has are amazing. He's just one of the more well-liked um, classiest individuals that you could ever meet. Yep. And it's genuine. It's not a facade. It's in, in, and, you know, he had, it's amazing to see the the respect that he had amongst his peers. It was eye-opening to me. 
and and because you do kind of just like it's your dad you think it's a cool guy he's winning a lot and then you put him around his peers and you clearly and the people would come over to me and say you know this about my father and what what impact they had is is was the coolest thing and that i mean that's that's really what you know i didn't realize it when my youth but when you have players that come back so let's say i'm in my teenage years and the players from the 60s and 70s are now a bit into their having children kind of in their careers and they would pull me aside at, at my house or somewhere we'd be together and they say todd you know you don't understand like what your parents you know in particular your dad and mom quite honest she was part of everything mm-hmm. you wouldn't have had this life like they they impacted me more than you ever can imagine so he goes that you're a lucky kid mm. so that really hit me mm. that you know, you, you always see the rewards of your work and what we do is sometimes a delayed um, feeling because when you're in it, you're competitive, you got to be tough, you have a lot of discipline. There's, you know, you might get some love, but a lot of it comes later. Sure. And you get to see that as a young kid. And I think it helped me as a younger head coach where I could put perspective pretty quickly. The most head coaches would not know that yet. So that was super helpful for me. So you're now at Indiana University as a soccer player, as your dad's son, and as a student. You know, you're you're around it your whole your whole childhood growing up. What was the reality? What, what maybe were some of the, the the greater challenges you didn't expect, and some of the greater joys of being a student athlete at Indiana University? Yeah. My, my, my four years were amazing and we didn't win it. Um, and it, 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 there's it definitely, that's a tough one for me. It's a real tough one, but the, like the, my teammates, the bonds are so unique and that's for really most really good experience, really good so- or programs in college athletics. It gives you a perspective you would not get in the pros. You can't get it. And the pride that I would have, I mean, winning a game, it's just not winning a game because that's my teammates and I want to do well. It's also like, I know that we have 300 alumni that are really proud of that moment that are also waving the banner and wanting to go into work and say, Indiana, get another win. We're this, that, and the other. And so that, that drove me. It still drives me. Um, the, the, the support and what it means to people. It means a lot. We saw that at our 50th reunion. It's, and it's 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 not just because we've had success. There's just a, a real unique common experience and bond that so many people have had over 50 years mm. that is just I I don't know if you have it in college athletics. It's a unique story. Um, and I'm just so lucky to be kind of in the middle of it. And sometimes I don't realize it because I love what I do and I take a step back, like that was kind of the 50th for me a little bit last spring. I, I just sat back. I'm like, this is my, I'm in my 50th year of life. And look at all these people that have done all these things and look at all the sustained um, excellence and, and what they've done and what the program's done, what it means to people and what it means for IU and what it meant for the sport. And it, and you're like in the middle of it. And um, so it was, it was great. I love playing for my father. He never coached me, as I said. He was tough on me, but for good reason. The players were really good with me too. I had a big class. And they would banter in front of me about my father. They would make fun of my father. They would joke about, oh, Todd's getting the call today at practice. You know, there was never a behind the scene, like, and they didn't say anything that they wouldn't say 
about my father in front of me. And I appreciate that's that. That's great. Yeah. And, and so that they made it really easy to be a coach's kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was all but, you know, the fairy tale was 2003. And and there's many fairy tales in this story. Yeah, don't skip. Don't skip. We, we oh, don't but, want to skip yeah. too fast. But, but the the 94 was that. You know, we 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 freshman year, we make the final four, probably a little bit fortunate. Um, young team. We kind of got beat up by a really experienced Santa Clara team. Didn't deserve to win that game. And it, but it was like, okay, sophomore year, we had a very good team. I was injured a bit that year, so that was a personal frustration. We ended up making it to the, the, the quarterfinal lead eight. And and lost at San Diego on the road, and that that stadium has now changed. But that thing was about fifty five yards wide. If you've been to San Diego's facility, yeah, um, it's now flat because the women's pro team uses it. But that that the Toro Stadium was a joke, and it was a crowd. I couldn't see half of our guys' legs in the other half of the field, <laughs> and it just showed to me the junior senior year, like guys, we got to do enough so we don't go on the road. It was like an agenda for us. Mm. We, home because we don't want to play on a field like that that might have impacted the result right junior senior year we were ranked one um and it was us in virginia and we were waiting to play them and we would have played them my junior year if we wouldn't have lost to wisconsin in a, a big upset at home in the sweet 16 virginia would have come to us and it was the first time when i, I admit this to our players i i was guilty as probably several we overlooked them we were looking at Virginia. We'd beaten Wisconsin, maybe 3-0 in the regular season, fairly handily. They were good, but we were better. And we were we were looking at Virginia coming to us because we were the top seed in the tournament. And we wanted to be, because they'd already won two, 91-92. And we wanted to beat Virginia. A lot of those guys I knew personally because I played against them. And that was the game we wanted. And we didn't get to it. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 94. Now we're in the final. In Davidson, sellout, amazing atmosphere at Davidson College. We're playing Virginia in the final. It's it's meant to be. Two best teams basically for the last three, four years. How does it not finish with a win? Hollywood didn't give me the <laughs> well, it's it, given you and your family plenty of it has super it has, holidays, that, that, I mean, super Hollywood endings. Yeah, I mean, people, some people thought that my dad would retire after that. Mm. Um, interestingly enough. He wasn't going to, but that was a lot of people's thought. Like if he can win it in in that year, I mean, he would have been would have been way too early, right? Um, but that's that's what you know. Some people like, how do you not do that? You know, how how can you get any better? You've already won three. That would have been four with your son. I mean, so amazing experience. Um, and yet that championship does does drive me today that we did not win it. Do you think that sensation of overlooking that team, overlooking Wisconsin and looking towards Virginia, that that is something that is always present with you, with your teams when you're in, I mean, you've been in so many tournaments where there's a bigger team, you know, one step away. Is that just a constant lesson for you that you just, you cannot get it out of your head? You can't. It's a a reminder. I don't, I don't throw it to them all the time. And it, it seems like coach talk. And I go, no, 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 guys, I, I've, I've done it. Yeah. And it, and you don't want to, you don't want to have the regret that I carry. It doesn't keep me up at night, but it's definitely one of those that you're like, we just didn't, we didn't have the right mindset that day. And right. um, We still should have won the game. I mean, the goalie was carried off. He was a team guy played with, he had the game of his life. We missed a penalty. I had a, 
an unbelievable chance at the end of the game to, to tie it. And I missed it. And it's still like that moment haunts me. I didn't, you know, I also tell our guys, like when we have a tough loss, you got to get out and see people. I buried myself in my room for about two days. Wow. I didn't come. It was that hard for me because it was not only the, I could have helped our team. You know, if we tie that game up, we're going to win. It's like one of those, like it's going to happen. And I just didn't want to leave my room. I kind of just put my head in the sand. And I, yeah. I use that as another example with our team. It's not healthy. It right. didn't help me. You got to get around people. You got to, life moves on. But my, yep. at that point, I thought life was coming to a screeching halt. Yeah. Uh, across the way there in Assembly Hall at that same time, there were some incredible teams <laughs> that through luck, misfortune, whatever they, injury, they couldn't get over the top do you do you have any kind of relationship with with Calbert or did you at the time with anybody on that team? And I would imagine Pat, right? Didn't you kind of grow up with him? Pat, yeah, yeah, yeah. having carrying that that burden of of truly being a, a top player on the top program in the country with the the greatest coach of all all time, but not being able to to bring it home. Absolutely, I mean. I went to the to the Final Four out of Minneapolis. You know, was that ninety one? Correct. Ninety two. Ninety Yeah, the ninety one ninety two season. Yeah. And you know, I'm 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 like, this is amazing. Like, we're we made a Final Four. I'm at IU, and I'm part. You know, IU basketball is obviously is still at that point. You know, in winning in positions to win things consistently. Um, and I got to know some of the guys. And Pat, I did. You know, Pat, I played soccer with growing up and and we still stay in touch and you know he obviously got too big and went to basketball but you know we we kind of had a little bond with with you know with Knight and Mallory we were all three sons that all could have played at the same time I run that would have been unique wow yeah Kurt if he went to IU would have played and we would have three sons playing at IU at one time he mm-hmm. just happened to be Pat and I and we did we had Pat and I had a bond because we knew what it was like to be a coach's kid and I love the games, Ward. I went to – I love basketball. That's the other sport that I enjoyed playing the most. Um, I, I was a, I was a B-team player on a 7th on a and 8th grade team that never lost a game. So I got good slop-up minutes. <laughs> nice. Uh, and the guys were unbelievable. I had such a good time playing middle school basketball, but I loved – and luckily my parents had seats to somebody all since I could remember. So, I mean, I have seen more big games in that venue – then I mean a lot of people I was getting older now but uh, I love basketball games and I I, I didn't miss a game during those years quite honestly mm. um fantastic do you have a good you know, coach Knight story when you're like over at Pat's house having juice boxes and yeah, coach Knight came home it, it was funny like I didn't see Pat like we we were more like in the in the sport friend like I didn't really like hang out at his house and see coach Knight in that but I would see him around the athletic department and and he he was obviously kind that would say something and stop and um he had a lot of respect for what soccer was doing and vice versa you could sense that and pat would mention that as as well um you know you just you know i occasionally would be down near the court you know we might be having practice our locker room was an assembly hall just up on the second floor i would kind of wander down sometimes and kind of you know, either listen or peek my head into like the upper level and just kind of like, and, and just watch a little bit. And yeah, that's an intense man. 
Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's really you know we we don't have to belabor this point because we talked to your dad about it. Uh, obviously, your dad and Coach Knight had a relationship, had a friendship, and and a mutual respect. And while there are clear similarities between the two, the attention to detail, the work ethic, the preparation, from a personality standpoint, I'm not sure they could be two diff- more different people, and yet both the best at what they did. Um, and it just shows you, like, while there were commonalities, it, it takes all kinds. Like, I mean, it just, it they are not similar people. No, and the love the players have that was the other common bond. I mean, yeah, you know, and, but yet the way they, they motivated and the, the tactics and the way they communicated and the way they dealt with the press. Um, my father was drastically different, but, but insanely similar with competitiveness. It yes. just came out differently. And it does show you got to do it within your own personality and what works for you. And they both were amazing at motivating, but use different mechanisms to do it. For yeah. sure. And um, it, it, you know, it's like you wouldn't expect Coach Knight to be the fuzzy. Like my dad would would just knew, and, and Coach Knight, of course, knew how to do it, but the, the the motivation to get a player to do something the way that my father might have gone about it was a, just a different angle. But totally. Well, I mean, there's that yeah. great clip in the documentary of, is it one of his assistants putting the pie in his face? Yeah. Like that was not going to happen with Coach Knight. No, I you know, that just different, <laughs> different strokes for different folks. When did you, Todd, know that coaching was going to be in your future? Was that an early decision or did that come later to you? Um, I think what, what hit me with that was, you know, I, I finished IU. MLS was not starting until 96. So I had like a, a, a year to, to keep playing and get ready for the inaugural season you know, barring my being drafted, maybe get drafted. So I, I knew that there was a good opportunity that I would get a chance in the league. So I went to Italy and trained there for about six weeks. Um, really cool experience. And I, I took a, and I'm not like a journal guy either, but I had a, I had a journal um, and I was writing things in it. And I, years later, I found it. And when I was, um, assistance this is probably like 2004 five i don't know and this was would have been a 95 so 10 years later and the activities i was writing about not like what it's like the city what's like to be a player it was like the sessions like what Mm -hmm. i liked and like what some of the coaches talked about and it was like i subconsciously was already in that that mindset without even knowing it i known it because i didn't i didn't know I, i actually at that point, I wanted to be in the sports business. So our relationship with Adidas, we have the longest relationship in college sports with Adidas. It's it's a fact. I mean, we've only worn Adidas. I mean, mm-hmm. even when you went Nike, you guys remember, we stayed Adidas. I mean, most yeah, people- Yeah, that is crazy. I don't really understand that, but- Yes, the Godfather made that happen somehow. <laughs> I don't know how, but, you know, so- I thought maybe Adidas or work in in the industry in some capacity. Business intrigued me. Um, even though Kelly kicked my rear, I ca- kind of used, uh, pivoted out of Kelly and did my minor, but I had an interest in business. And it was really these little moments that that, and then when I was playing in, in the crew, I was obviously starting to think, okay, at some point, one, my knee was not doing great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that I was going to get passed by. Just like I was very versatile. I am. I pivoted. I figured out how to be sick. You know, 
a useful piece. That's why they didn't get rid of me. I was versatile and I was a low money guy. So they kept me. Um, but at some point I knew it was over and I started doing youth coaching at, at a U10 team in Columbus. One of my most enjoyable, like early coaching experiences. I still talk to some of them. Huh. Um, I saw one at a wedding this summer. Right. Um, it's I mean, just those little, just moments. It's like, it, it kind of tripped the wire. And then when players would come into the crew, a lot of what I would be asking is like, Hey man, what'd you like about like the last club? Like, what'd you guys do? Like, what was the coach like? I remember like, and then it started to hit me consciously. Like I'm asking a lot of questions that have to do with managing the team. Not like, you know, you know, how was the sushi bar and the, the ladies in Dallas? It was, right. you know, <laughs> what was the coach like? What did he do? How do you, you know, Oh, you guys love that. What, what was unique about it? That was what was intriguing me. So I think it would have been in that, you know, early pro years, it started, it. started to go. So take us through your decision or how it came about that you would join the coaching staff, even if it was unpaid. You have something. Can I ask one more question before we get there? Just one more. Yes, you may. You're, you're, you're the legend's son. You're a stud soccer player for four years at Indiana. We all know what happens at Indiana when you're a college student. Did you feel like you had to walk the straight and narrow or did you live the life of a stud athlete for four years at Indiana? Like, what's going on here? I had fun. Okay. <laughs> I had fun. Um, I'm so glad. Did you, did you have to hide stuff from your dad? Well, luckily, we didn't have cell phones, right? <laughs> That's true. Easier. A lot easier. I, I say to all guys, you wish you grew up in my era. <laughs> You wish it. I mean, you don't think it because you don't think we're cool. But it's a. It was a. I had an amazing. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I was balanced. No, I'm not sending a message. But oh, I had fun and yeah. I enjoyed yeah. my time. And you know, uh, certainly, you know, not trying to get into Kilroy's below before 21. That would have been not a good move. Although right. a lot of the campus does. Um, that yeah. I would wait until I'm of age. So an example. Those things I paid attention to. I I didn't want to obviously have an issue that that would be tough for my father. No, and you're pretty visible. So that yeah. that would have been a problem, yeah. even without cell phones, snapping pictures. Yeah. So I had a great, great time. Met my wife. I mean, my father. Yeah, met, talk about yeah. Susie and talk yeah. about when you when you met her and how that came yeah. to be. Your dad's got a great story about how he met your mom. Yeah. Let's hear your story. So I'm I'm kind of dating a girl my freshman year that lived in her dorm at McNutt. I was in Foster uh, McGee. Great. I was Foster Martin. Oh, there we go. That four was Martin was crazy, but yeah, McGee was I know. It was crazy. It was crazy when I was there too. Yeah. So I'm in McGee and I'm kind of dating a girl who lives over McNutt and, and they happen to be kind of like sweet mates and it doesn't end well. I mean, I didn't think it was anything bad, but she clearly like didn't like the way it finished or whatever. So <laughs> my wife's from Louisville. She had a lot of soccer friends. She went to Ballard high school and she loves athletics. She came to IU because she loved basketball. Um, one of the reasons, uh, honestly, and but she did like soccer. She didn't play it, so we we kind of ironically had a couple circles that we didn't even know at that point. Let me fast forward. So she knew of me because of that, and she but we didn't we didn't meet at that point. Fast forward. It's my junior summer, um, and one of my teammates, Mike Clark, is dating another Kappa, um, Laura. Um, and they were having a little house party, just small gathering. And 
like, Hey man, come on over. You can, you know, we're having a good time, meet some folks and, you know, it's a good summer vibe and went over. And I remember pulling up and it was like 20, 30 people and know exactly where it was. It was near the Theta house. And I'm like, man, this girl, I was immediately like, Whoa. <laughs> and she, I walk over towards her cause there's a mutual kind of friend. I'm trying to find my way. How do I get in to have a conversation? Mm-hmm. And she writes my name in the sidewalk. She's like messing around with sidewalk chalk. Mm-hmm. They're like, like doing some funny drawings and, you know, and she wrote my name. I'm like, Oh God, this could be good or bad. <laughs> so we quickly talked and she knew she knew we kind of made the connection. She, we had some more friends and, and from there we, we went out, um, it might've been to Kilroy's that night and she kind of was dodging me a little bit. And so I finally kind of got the, 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 the guts to kind of ask basically, Hey, do you, do you ever want to go out or something? And so we were able to kind of connect and she turned me down three times. Nice. Nice. Making you work for it. She, Oh yeah. No, 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 no. She was, she made it hard. And the final time I said, you want to go to Lake Monroe? And that's really how she wanted to date. She just wanted to go on the lake. (laughs) So so my friend had a boat and she went out to Lake Monroe with us. And that was really our first date. We ate at Wendy's on third street in front of Kroger. That was the finish of the date. Yes. I I actually, I broke up with a girl at that Wendy's. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy, the opposites. That Wendy's has has a lot of a lot of stories. <laughs> lot, if those walls could talk. <laughs> and you know what I loved about her? She was just pounding like a double cheeseburger. I'm like, yes. I don't like this girl. Yeah. You know, most most are like eating a salad and don't want. And she's like killing a burger. And it it went from there. And uh, we started dating at that point. And then it was a great time too. I mean, if I had to kind of pick the perfect time to find your, your perfect girl was like before my senior year, I had my fun. It's time to like, I need a lockdown last year, focus. She kept me in line on everything with school. She's very smart. And we dated through the senior year. I get drafted to Columbus. She does student teaching. She was going to be med school, but she's like, I'm going to hang around with this Todd guy and maybe go everywhere that's out. So she kind of pivoted to teach biology in high school. So she got her certificate in teaching. She goes as student teaching basically my rookie year and then finally moves up to Columbus kind of the second part of my rookie year. And we lived together. She actually lived with a friend first and then lived with me. And then soon after the, the, the proposal came and that's, that goes back to where we met. So we are now going back to Bloomington. We're living together and we're not engaged yet. And we talked about it a lot on the way home because we're going to see a lot of people and they're going to say, what, Susie, what are you guys doing? Like, yeah. what, what, what you, we've been dating for Put up years. or shut up. Exactly. And I had the ring though for two months. She <laughs> didn't know that. And I'm like, we're like in a fight almost in the car. Heading back to Bloomington, we arrive and it was, it was um, Christmas Eve and there's a party we go to with our family that we've done always. And we're, I drop her off at the mall. She gets something. I pick her up and we need to be home and get to this house in like a half hour. And I go, Susie, I got to run over downtown to pick something up for my mom. I made something up. So we're driving down campus, which is, she's pissed now even more because she's now not going to be ready for the party. And she's not engaged. Right. <laughs> and, and lo and behold, when she was in the mall, I went back to the spot that we first met with sidewalk chalk and wrote 
Susie, will you marry me? Oh, boy. You romantic. Okay. Now, and so it's a little bit of a dusty rain, too. So I'm <laughs> freaking out that, one, I left that spot. You know how campus is in the winter. You guys, yeah. mean, you weren't here much, but it's quiet, right? No, yeah, it's dead. Yeah. yeah, so I left that, drove to get her at the mall, took her back, made up a story why we had to go down that street. The story was a house burnt down. I go, man, like, Susie, this, can you believe a house burnt down? She's like, Todd, who cares right now? We're <laughs> And so we pull up and she's still so pissed. And I stop at the house and I just, I wait and, I'm, and I get out of the car and that's when she gets out and she sees the, there's roses and then the, will you marry me? And guys, that's the most romantic thing I've ever done ever since. So you I've, nailed it. I mean, I, I kind of set the, the bar and now I really let her down. Did she, <laughs> did she know that you were dating her sweet mate? Like, did you ever talk about the fact that you kind of crossed paths a little your freshman year? We did, but it was really, it wasn't very long. And she okay. wasn't like a really good friend with her, but she kind of had the usual like, oh, it's a soccer player. Like, you know, yeah. it's the, you have to fight those battles of like, yo, it's just a, you know, it's an athlete. He thinks what he gets, what he wants, you know, she yeah. had that immediate like. Well, it turns she, out, turns out he did. It turns out the had to work did. for it though. Had to work for it. <laughs> she made so, you work for it. I it love was, it. Uh, it was a, that was an amazing night, of course. And then we went to the party that announced it, she had, and she had a beautiful ring, and it was such a cool thing. I'm so glad that we went through that tough. That is great. Yeah. That's a great story. You put a ring on it, and now, <laughs> now you you've you're ready to move on the I, I guess in basketball they say when the ball stops bouncing for a player for you it's time to stop kicking the ball uh pick up the whistle perhaps if you will and and how did that fateful decision come about for you to join the staff in your father's final season if you, you could take us through that and then your perspective on how that magical season went yeah, so when when I finished playing, the crew was like basically like Todd, your time's up. But they really, I did an internship in the front office, um, which kind of showed my interest to learn. And very different front offices back in 1996-97. But in the in the offseason, I went into the front office. So fast forward, the general manager of the crew hired me in the summer when I stopped playing. And they gave me um an assistant general manager's role. And I'm like, okay, is this assistant to the general manager or is this assistant? <laughs> or assistant general general manager. <laughs> it was way different, but no, he, it was a different time, different era. And so he got, he let me kind of do all these projects. And I was kind of the liaison for the players and the, I, I crossed over, but I loved it. And so that was basically 2002 part of it. And then my father told me, um, I'm going to retire and we can get you back on staff as a volunteer. And basically have you come back. The The plan was for Mike to take over if the ADs all, you know, if everyone agreed, because he'd been my longtime assistant coach for my father. And Mike and I had a really good relationship. And if I did well as a volunteer, that in essence, I could move in and be one of the assistants. So I went back as a volunteer. Let's just say the camps were going well. So okay. I was a well-paid camp employee. Got it. Uh, so that's kind of how the money worked to, to make it work. Makes sense. Yep. So we moved back and we, uh, here I am with my father's last year and you guys know that story. It's, I mean, 
an emotional roller coaster of that season was 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 frightening at times, but an amazing. I mean, it it was. It didn't start great. It did not start miraculous. It no, no. started like it was going to be a disastrous last year. It, it what was, do you remember about it turning and the tide turning? Yeah. It, well, first of all, that team for my father to announce it also shows like he didn't pick 1998, 94, um, you know, 83, you, you know, teams that were like favorites. Right. Well, our O3 team was going to be young. O2 lost some key players. Um, and the, the class was very good in O3. But it wasn't like, oh gosh, Indiana's gonna be the favorite. Not at all. And you know, we are playing these freshmen pretty early. And that was really fun for me because I also was kind of the, the new guy that came from the pros. So they they hadn't I had their attention in a cool way. Like he's the, you know, he's bringing some different juice to practice. He has a different perspective. I can still knock the ball at a pretty good clip. So I love my role as kind of the young kind of apprentice. And but back to your point about when it turned. Uh, well, first of all, the Penn State game was probably a third of the way through. We were in that like two, three, and four range, and Penn State was very good. We were up 2-0, and there was a lightning delay at the 65th minute. Well, you have to complete 70 for it to be a game. So we're five minutes short of the game being called, and it's a win. Now it's a no contest. Oh. I remember being in the locker room and with the other coaches and Caleb Porter, who's now coaching in, um, in in New England, he's won two MLS Cups, as you know, what what a wonderful staff that was to be with. I was like, what's going on? Like, like I literally like was beside myself. How is this happening? Like, everything is going wrong. And the team's playing pretty well. Even in those losses, we had a couple of tough giveaways, kind of a little bit of bad luck. Um, and we could easily have flipped that schedule or that record and be in a good place. Instead, we're not. And here would have been the big win to kind of get us going. And it, it, that game now gets postponed to the end of the season. We, we have to wedge it in. Fast forward, um, there was a game, I can't remember which game it was, but one of the games that, that we lost, and it's a very kind of famous moment, you know, when he came in the locker room and said, I stayed a year too long. Yes. Like, Whoa. Like I, I like had you was, ever heard your dad do anything like that? No, no. Hmm. Wow. It was, it was like, you got your stomach pulled out. Mm -hmm. And cause I, I would feel, I mean, my feeling was more like the players cause of my connection, of course. So I'm feeling it emotionally as equal to the current players. And it was powerful and there was a reaction and, you know, Talking about my dad as a master at finding the right words or right tone. It, it was real, but it was also a way of like, can we find a way? Can can you can you believe in something bigger? And he never did like it's my last year talk, but it was that was kind of his indirect way of saying, like, don't leave, don't get me out on this one. Right. In in a very kind of Jerry Yeagley way, if you will. And a few games after that, we're up at Michigan. We win in overtime, and we then win 14 straight. Yeah, and and then the, the other part of that year, this is where this year could have been worth the wait. Movie in itself, this year, the '03, mm -hmm. our two best players, offensively and defensively, 
Drew Moore defender, Ned Grabavoy. It's my father's last year, and they're invited to the U-20 World Cup. Yep. And my father says go. And and you think he would be like, we're losing them in the Big Ten tournament and all through the NCAA tournament. If we get lucky, we can get them back if they would lose at a certain point. But in all purposes, they're gone. Right. Two best players. And, and, and my father was like, go. And talk about like another moment in my kind of like young coaching. Because part of me was like, you know, I'd say like dad in front of the team because I had to call him coach for the team. But like, dad, why are they go- like, this is your last year. Like, and he's like, it's the right thing to do. You get called to the, you get called for your national team. It doesn't matter. It's my last year. I wouldn't feel right if I like selfishly took that from them and made it a guilty about why you're leaving the team. Amazing. That's when you're, that's when you're really good in your skin. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, how many people would do make that call? Not many. So we, we lose those two go on this run and the UCLA game was an amazing quarterfinal. We took our band out and as you know, if you've been to that campus, we this was in the inside tracks. So they've changed the location a few times. Yep. We had a bigger crowd than they did on the mm-hmm. night. And it was, nice. a, it, was a, it was a foggy night in LA and we walk into the stadium and the fight song is going and there's singing with IU fans. It was amazing. And awesome. UCLA won it in 2 And they returned most of that team. They were the favorite. That's why we were on the road in the quarterfinal. We beat them in an unbelievable game to get to the Final Four. And then we're now in Columbus, Ohio, in the stadium. I'm like, this is not this is surreal. Here I am in the stadium, the only pro stadium I played. And there's another huge chapter of my life, personally. And now we're in Columbus, Ohio, which happened to be just the, the year they picked that location. And we're now fast forward to the final. And, you know, both those guys showed up. One showed up at midnight on Saturday night. We played Friday, played Sunday. Comes in at Saturday at midnight. The other one missed his connection in Europe. So he got in at 10 a.m. On game, Sunday? The game's at one. <laughs> and then a couple of the guys were kind of like, you, know, you hear things as assistant, and a couple of the guys like, what do you think coach is going to do? Do you think they're going to start him? Like, you know, Shinny and and some of the guys that have filled in have done a really good job. Like, what is he going to do? Like, and it was clear as day. My dad's like, the great job, the guys that helped us get there. But if they're able to go, they're going. And and he didn't, and that was not no like hesitation. A, no hesitation um, for him. And, and, and no one felt bad about it, but it was like another one was like, just kind of like, he was sure that's the thing to do. I don't need to go. Well, they weren't part of it. So for them to even get back for the game. Right. It's a, 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 a miracle. And do and, you think there's no way you win it without them? I couldn't believe we were that far without them at that point. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Those guys, I mean, we had some, we've always had good depth. We had some guys just step up and, 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 and play outside their, their coverage, if you will. But to win that final game with tired legs without those two, well, you know, the story goes, the first goal of the game is free kick, and I grab a boy, 1-0. That's the player that came back at midnight the night before. Right. Changes the game. Goals change games in soccer, as we know. And then Jake Peterkin, Jake Peterson gets the second goal, 
and then they get one late and now the snowflakes if you've seen work the way as you of have, course mm -hmm. it's coming down like we're talking like silver dollar size yeah. <laughs> i'm on the bench just like i'm a wreck i mean i'm a wreck <laughs> and my dad is just sitting there like he's like the most docile i've ever seen him I mean, literally sitting and like, and usually he paces a few times or he'll come talk to us. He wasn't talking to us, not like overtly, but just, he was just in his own little space. You know, we're under five minutes. They're barraging, like, you know, in soccer, they're pushing everything forward. You know, we're trying to keep, we can't even see the damn ball half the time. And we went. And, you know, he goes over to Dave Mazur, who's a good friend um, at St. John's. And they hug, and then I'm the next person. Yeah. What was that moment like? Made up for 94. Yeah. Is that what you felt? Did you feel like closure with that? Um, it, it, it never is the same as a coach as a player. I'll always say the player experience is different rewarding. I, it, yeah. it doesn't replace it. It's just like a heel, like put a heel in the wound. Got it. It won't replace 94. I, I'll always... I mean, I'm not saying I would choose one over the other in that moment, but it, it just, it was like a little bit of a closure, you know, for, for, um, for him and me. Well, and it has to make you feel like there is fate, there is destiny. Like there was no other place or time in the world where you should be than, than right in that spot at that moment with your father. I mean, it's it is it's it's kind of an out of body experience that's why he you know he couldn't say much he was he was he was in a really like docile mode um and and like smiling but just like really calm really calm um yeah i can remember it i mean i can see his eyes and like and even the hug with me was more like just like a loving hug not like we did it you know in a fist bump and let's go and he's you know which he's had those emotions on the sideline. He's, you know, you look at the 82, you know, celebration, he's got the flag and he's, yeah. He's, I mean, way different, a completely opposite reaction from him from 82 to 03, but different part of his life. And totally. Just to, to announce your retirement for the season and to win it. It's just, like I said, I mean, you guys, you guys live in Hollywood. You, you, you live it. You, no, it's you, too much. You don't believe it. No, it's too much. Nobody would buy it. Nobody Angelo, would buy it. Angelo Pizzo rejected the idea. That's right. So, <laughs> yeah. so now you stick around, and for the first time in your life, there is Indiana soccer without Jerry Yeagley running it. Yeah. And you got a really good team coming back. But what is it like for you working on a staff where the head honcho of IU soccer is not a Yeagley? It is not your dad. Um, obviously, you have a, a relationship with Mike, but it's it's got to be a different dynamic. What was it like that year and then the subsequent years? Is, and obviously, you win the championship that next year, so that's amazing. But what was it like for you? Yes, I mean, that team was 04 was as good or better than 03, and to go back and win it. And we were actually a little fortunate in that game. Uh, Santa Barbara had us on their heels. We, we went into a double overtime with Maryland, an amazing – Cross and had her by John Michael Hayden. Duke played Santa Barbara in the other semi. And they were up 3-0 at half. And basically had the reserves in for the second half. 
I mean, and when you're playing Friday, Sunday, which we don't do anymore, which is craziness that we even did that format. We have now another day and we play. Right. Night. Um, we were fortunate to get to penalties. <laughs> we were hanging <laughs> on, so, but, but that team was awesome. But Santa Barbara was a heck of a team and that was a home game for them. They had all the, 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 the um, tortillas flying on the, on the, on the, uh, the stub hub or whatever they called it at that, at that point, because that's what they do at home games. But fast forwarding, it was an amazing time for me. My father really had to step away. You know, he's so respectful to like roles and he knew that he had to be very distant um, for Mike. Mm -hmm. and for me, honestly. So he, it was very hard for him. Um, meaning because selfishly, he just wanted to be around everyone, but he right. knew he had to be away from it. It was really difficult for him. Um, and I think it, it was improving through the years for him. And it wasn't like Mike didn't want him around. It was just my father really tried hard not to be around, which I, which, you know, I wanted him to be around more and I understood it. So it was a great experience. I learned a lot. We had a great staff. We know working with Mike, that was when Caleb Porter was here and we had Phil Presser and Sean Phillips and these guys have gone on to do some great things. So we had, we had an amazing run. It really came down to me when you know you're ready is when you want to, you want to give the talk you want to have, when it's the player meeting, you want to address it. Hmm. It wasn't a disagreement on, on what was said, or it wasn't a philosophical big differences, but you just want to do, you wanted to be that. Yeah. Want to yeah. be the guy. Yeah. And, and, and I was ready. I felt ready. And um, so when Wisconsin called and said, do you want to be a head coach, you know, in 2008, I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And it was a place I knew I could go and, and win and where from there, who knows where I go, you know? So um, there was no talk because it is a strange thing to go for one year and then come back. And right. obviously, you know, I know Fred Glass is the one who who makes the call and, and gets you in. But was there any conversation about like, hey, go get head coaching experience somewhere? And then one day, and maybe that day will be sooner than later, but you need to be a head coach first somewhere else besides here. Did that ever, that conversation ever happen? It didn't. And I think a lot of people probably thought that might have. Yeah. Only straight from the truth, it didn't. I just knew I needed to be a head coach. And at some point, could I come back if things line up? It's like anything. I'm, you know, more you're in it, you're like, you just got to make moves and, and 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 see where it goes. Sure. And what 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 really happened with Fred Glass is that you had a new a new lens that came in and really dug into the program when he arrived. And now knowing Fred as I do, and and it was a really, I mean, that's a tough decision to make. Yeah. When you're looking at a program that you know, was certainly like dropping in some, in some things, but it wasn't necessarily all results. So when he dug in, he was hearing things and, and feeling things. He's a very good listener that he felt like, I don't know if that we can continue with this. Um, did Fred, I didn't know Fred, hmm. uh, you know, and for his, I mean, he, I probably am sure he know of me, but he, we didn't have a relationship. So when, when it, when it, when the, when the call was made, you know, there was a lot of, that was an emotional time because, you know, I was enjoying my time at Wisconsin. I'd been there a year. We were going to win. We were, and I felt like we could. And except it's really cold there, as you said, really cold. Um, it's too cold. It's too cold. But a wonderful place to like, it's a big Bloomington. 
in the sense of it's a yeah, group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really the capital. Cold. It's the capital, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. It, it's in, a city. Yeah. And uh, a lot of interesting people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when Fred called and and said, we'd like to talk to you, you know, there was an also emotion of like, do you do your own thing? You know, right. is, is it like, how do I live up to this? Totally. You know? And and boy, Wisconsin played to that tune. So, mm-hmm. you know, Barry was very good with me. The other associates. By the way, you're, you're referencing Barry Alvarez, who is widely yeah. considered, you know, what one of the top five athletic directors of all time after being one of the great football coaches of all time, but just so well regarded as an athletic director. So you've got a heavy honcho you know, uh, coming after you. He's really, you know, Barry's an intimidating man, but there's like so much of them that is my father in the, in the way he, and it's like, I, I, I know you, I've been around people. And one of my favorite interactions when I was at Wisconsin is we had a, a staff outing at the golf course. My parents were in town and I invited them and Barry met my father. And it was like these two heavyweights, like coming into the table with both of their rings blinging and it was this immediate like just cool interaction of just yeah. legends and what they've done um really fun and, and but barry was always really good to me and when i went in and said let me fast forward that that iu was going to offer me this was you know weeks later um and i go you know i know this you know i've been here a year he's like he's like i understand you need to you if you feel like you need to do this, go, I'm not going to try to stop you. I'm not like, of course, we'd love to have you. And, and his assistance made a really strong play and went a little bit to the emotional cords. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm still friends with, with, with Eichhorst and, and the other folks that were there, who obviously was the AD at Nebraska. And he, he, he pushed me a little bit on Todd, you sure you want to go back to be your father's, you know, he played to that. And, and I know he did cause he wanted to keep me and I respect that but it put me in an emotionally tough spot. Um, and so I had to do a lot of, a lot of kind of soul searching in a short period of time. Like, yeah, do, do and, and it, what it came down to in the end was, am I going to be afraid of something um, or go where I went, where I love? And it's, to me, it's like anything big has, has fear and has, you have to be, you have to be willing to fail on something big. And, I wasn't willing to say no because I was afraid to fail. So, but Todd, was it a constant dream for you once your dad announced his retirement mm-hmm. and you had decided to come back as a coach and now you know that coaching is going to be your career? Mm-hmm. Was it a dream like I want to be the head coach here and continue the legacy or did you not even allow yourself to think about it? I, I really didn't because I didn't know when or how that would be. It kind of like, you know, my dad did a good job of like, like controllables, you know, trust what you're doing. And I didn't know. I didn't know like how Mike would do. I didn't know right. what I was going to be. I just didn't. And so I didn't do that. Maybe to just make sure my mind was straight. Well, um, yeah. And, you know, I'm still, you know, I really love coaching, but, you know, maybe there's a, maybe there's a part of me. It's like, maybe I'll go MLS. Like, the, you know, the pro is kind of intriguing to me too. Sure. And, and, and there is a part of you when you have, when you're around such successful people that, you know, you always do want to carve out something niche in what you do. It's human nature. And, For sure. And yet it wasn't, that didn't push me. I, I was like, if I felt like I could do it better than anyone else and care for it, then why am I not? 
because if I don't win, I'm a failure and I deal with that. Okay. Um, so I just, not that I didn't think other people could do it. I just felt like I could, and I didn't want the, the, the failure piece to get in my way of making that decision. So it was a heck of a leap for me. And yeah. Well, it's and you fascinating. Make it. It's fascinating because from the outside, watching it from afar, it's like, well, of course that was, that was how that was going to go. He's the mm -hmm. heir apparent. And as soon as he's ready and the program is in need, he'll come back and save the day. But, but once you make that decision and you're back at IU and now yeah. it's your program, it's not your father's program. What did you know you were consciously doing that was different? You know, you can't, you can't be like, okay, well, this is how dad did it. So this is how I'm going to do it. And maybe there are some elements, you know, you want to retain, but what, when you showed up on day one or in that first season, even did you do to make it your own? Not because that's what you were trying to do, but because you're a different human being and a different coach. Yeah. I think what I, what I wanted to do first is get to re-engage my father in a real proactive way. Mm. So kind of opposite of what he was on our staff and he was, I mean, he came in the office by every day and he watched training. I mean, I had like an active consultant that I could, you know, lean on. And it wasn't like, Hey dad, you need to give me a space. It was the opposite. Come on in, let's chat, you know? And some days I'm like, come on, dad, I don't have time for this, you know? And <laughs> you know, But I can say that to him, but it was, it wasn't like a conscious, like I need to do things different to carve it. It was like, we are a bit different. We have a little bit differences of, um, of like some stylistic pieces, but generally speaking, we have the same kind of fundamental beliefs and, and it works. I mean, when things are tried and true, some of the simplest things, they work. Right. Could you could what? you touch on those for us the the philosophy the fundamentals for those of us who don't know the game well what what are those principles that make IU soccer the very best? First, our 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 ability to like know roles, and that's kind of a simple term, but we we do I think a really good job of of getting players into positions and, and communicating what their role is and and telling guys these guys can do this so. You need to help do this. Um, this is a little bit of the piano players versus piano movers, yes. right? Yeah. yeah, a little bit in that. And in and, and, and defending, I mean, the, the simple, you know, attitude here in sports is, you know, a great attack will win you games, great defense will win you championships. And that's very true. And so the, the defending, the attention to detail was my dad was a master at. And the discipline, the players love discipline. They want it. They're thriving for it. Mm. And you've got to give it. And, and another big piece was, was the, the joy of how he coached in mm. the sense of the fun and the balance of, you know, I, when I read Sir Alex Ferguson's book, I'm like, God, I like him reading about my father a lot in mm. the way they manage, but like, how you balance empathy and steel is one of my favorite kind of phrases in that book. Hmm. And the best coaches kind of know how to do that. When is the stern hand and when is the empathy and the love? 
and when is it right to use? And I had like a, the mentor of all mentors to be, to guide me. And, and I'm learning, I, I knew, I guess I've learned things that I didn't even know I was learning. You know, right. I listened to recruit calls at 12 years old, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's on the he's on the phone in the in the living room. You know, have cell phone, and I'm listening, and I'm not even like trying to listen. I'm just under the room doing something, and I'm listening to his recruit calls and how he talks to his players and how he has staff meetings and um, just amazing detail is what you know is what I really learned. And and so back to your your point about what's the tried and true, you, you, the consistency of an Indiana soccer team. Will be a team that's very well organized, defensive in, in, in the sense that they know their defensive roles and they're very keen on it. Um, we're going to be hardworking more so than our opponent, more often than not. That's going to be an identity. And then you have special players that you insert. You are flexible. There's not, to me, the, the game of soccer, you, you have to be fluid and flexible, but within your framework. Sure. And it's really hard to kind of create those. So if you're missing some piece, you got to have it because the game might ask for you. I mean, we look at it in, in basketball. If they give you the inside, you got to have a big guy to make plays and you got to go into them. If they're giving you the three, you got to have the guy to do it and you got to go to it. It's not because we got the big guy, we got to feed him because we want to be a more American. No, today is the shooting day because they're going to double you on the inside. We got to go to the three. And the guy on the inside's got to be okay with that. He'll have 10 points in the day instead of 30. So like the way you the way we were able to kind of manage your team and, 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 and everyone, you know, the star is the team. That's a very simple way to put it. And, and getting the, the, like the understand the pride piece of the uniform and knowing that they're just here and they got to keep it moving forward and, you know, leave the Jersey in a better place. Again, one of my favorite, you know, kind of sports teams to follow is the all blacks. And you read about, you know, how, what, things they still do in 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 the book that, that they have on is amazing that it's simple things that are timeless but are hard to execute especially in today's day and age with the new generation but to me i think they're they're striving for it more and more um and you got to surround yourself with really good people and you got to let them do things and you got to you got to delegate and 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 i think when you're a younger head coach. You, you want to do everything. And I learned from my dad, I can't do everything. I got to use these other strengths. And so I just leaned on all that, Ward. To, I mean, the blueprint was there. You know, I think the gift that my father gave me is that I, I understand people and I can communicate well. And there's no coach in the world at the, at the top that you you still want to, you, you still learn the X's and O's are critical. You cannot have them and not be successful. But what makes the difference for the championship teams? Right. Because so many people can learn the X's and O's, but then there's yeah. a difference. Yeah. I mean, look at what, I mean, look at Klopp right now with 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 his decision and like the love, whether you're a Liverpool fan or not. I'm, I, I typically like Klopp and, and what mm -hmm. he does. Just the way his players respond to him. Like there is a genuine like love. And and yet he's tough and he he it's his, you know, there, there's discipline, no doubt, and they work their tails off. But there's an, it's an amazing amount of love you can see in that, and, and we work hard in that. It takes it, it takes regular everyday uh, communication, and I love that part of my job. It's not, I mean, 
I'll forget about half the day because I'm spending two hours with the players just talking about things. And it's not like I'm like, I need to do it because I need to build a relationship. I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, you can tell you come to Indiana, your first season, the record was okay. Not great, but you ended strong, obviously big 10 champs. You make it to the round of 16, then 2011 round of 16 again. And now 2012, your third year there. Walk us through the incredible run where you are beating teams. I mean, just good team after good team. Xavier, number one, Notre Dame, number nine, North Carolina, number 12, Creighton, number three, Georgetown, on your way to your head coaching first national title. What was that run like? And did you think going into that year that you had a team good enough for that run? That team was good. I would say similar to what my father might say of the years I've coached here, that team, you know, I might've outkicked my coverage with Susie. That team is in the category of outkicked. If you look at pure like talent and the chemistry and what came together. Right. It was championship material, but certainly not a favorite. No. And, and. um, So what separated it as the year went on? What well, came part together? Of, part of it was the, the, the loss at UNC the year before in overtime in the round of 16 was a real, like, what kind of motivates a group, a lot return um, for 2012. And our goalie, Louis Softner, completely turns the corner on all the small things. And mm-hmm. to be successful in our sport, well, you got to have a goalie that's consistent. And Louis had an, an amazing senior year. And he was a very capable goalie, St. Louis. Dismet. Yes. Um, he just turned the corner and it was like everything was there and just finally got it. And he was an absolute beast in the whole final four. And and going back to what worked, all those scores were one oh or shutout victories. So defense. I mean, and, and it's not like we're giving up the attack. I mean, what what I love when I see some of our teams and, and 17 might have been the year of it, that we were in the top five of every attacking and defending category in the country. Wow. And that's when you know that, yeah, you'd still say we're really good defensively, but we're also doing it on the other end, but we don't have to rely on it. Um, We can win a one. Okay. We can score a restart and be fine with it. We can win an ugly game and we can win a gritty game. We also want to, you know, we also want to tear a heart out of another team and, 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 and throttle three L if we could, when you feel it. Right. So the, the run on that group, there was some injuries. There was a role change. Um, we had a bad Big Ten exit. And and I always feel like sometimes you need the moment kind of in a year to like reset, recalibrate. That was the moment. It was, and, and I still remember it. We're in the hotel. We lose in the quarterfinal, bad performance up at Northwestern. We lose to Michigan State. We're in the tournament. We know that. But it was a poor performance, not what you want going into this late tournament. And it was one of those, like, let's, let's all call it out in the room. And this is also what, you know, my assistant who's now a head coach at Iowa state, I give him a lot of credit because, you know, I, there's, you know, certain coaches and personalities you got to tap into at the right time. And I, I was telling Mays, I said, Mays, he was, he's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And it's always so positive. I said, Mays, we got to go. You got to get in there. And we got to get, so we got to ruffle a little bit. And I've, I've been kind of hard on him throughout that year at times. And he did it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, the team was like, whoa, 
it meant the, more coming from him. Yes. And they had yeah. a great amount of respect for Mays. He's an excellent coach and an excellent, wonderful person. Um, and it was just the messaging that they needed. And it was the recalibration. And there we are, we go in the tournament and we just go. And it was similar to some years, you just got guys playing at their best. And, you know, my, I'm, I mean, that's probably what I'm most proud of, of what we've done through the years. It's like, we can, we find a gear, we find something else in the most important where some teams, you know, shrink, cringe up, you know, I'm not saying we play our best games every time, but even if we don't play great, we like have a winning moment or we stay steady defensively, they can get us through uh, a spell. So, you know, that, that win it, that win it down in Alabama, um, you know, I was a, I was a wreck after that game, honestly. I mean, it was very emotional for me. Um, and it, and it was, it was definitely an exciting one. I mean, I look at my father's reaction. Maybe I, I probably look more like 82. Right. But I was, <laughs> this is your first one where you're winning it, where you're the guy, yeah. you yeah. know? And, um, do you feel a sense of, you know, you said like when you were a player that there was always this early on, that there was this little doubt. Am I that good? Can I go at that level? Did you ever have that doubt as taking over as the coach for Indiana? Like, can I get them there? Can I do what my dad did mm -hmm. as far as reaching the mountaintop? And if you had that, what's it like when that moment comes where you are on the mountaintop? Sure, I think... I think we all have them, right? At some point, I had it. Um, I have a lot of confidence, but there was doubts at times that would creep. And you you know, you just, that's when you just have to kind of stay in, in the present lane and not look back too much, just like refocus. But yeah, doubt comes in. I, I'll be lying to you if I said there was some doubt. Sure. It. I mean, it's hard to win a title. And, um, and so much is, is, is measured by that, right or wrong. Right. And, I mean, as we go back to Barry Alvarez, Barry didn't have a lot of wins. And it was, he won bowl games and he right. was a legend for it. You know, some of the best coaches in, in our sport and soccer, been some of the most respected have maybe won one and won a lot of games, but never really done what like my father's done with multiple. It's so hard. Um, so when you, when you lose guys like, you know, Saban and others, they're just how they keep winning is amazing. So totally. Uh, there was a, yeah, there was, but you know, I, I got confidence as we when you get steps ahead and, and, and so to do it, it wasn't like, like I, it wasn't like a relief feeling. Um, like I needed to do this to kind of like, you know, put the, my stake in the ground. Um, but clearly what I would hear in my first one or two years of coaching going on the road might be, Oh, hey, Todd, you know, you're not your dad or, you know, everything you could hear. And I was used to it. He's another player. I mean, I heard everything as a player. To of try course. To... And it, so I'm used to it. But those those messages were gone. Yeah. And and it was, you know, and, I, and not, not that you're like, man, I don't have to deal with that anymore. But it's almost like it does allow you to really stay focused and not hear noise. Yeah, um, you're in a different club. You know, yeah. you're. Now, do you do you remember uh, the first moment you had with your father, or something he said to you after you won the title? Oh yeah, yeah, we were up in the the press area, and you know he he does go to Final Fours, 
that, that that he will watch. It's almost like, okay, no matter what, like obviously it's a great year. And he just, I think he would feel so bad if he didn't watch those games. So right. he was at the final four watching. Now he did hide in like one of the, like the extra team booths. Because <laughs> we were in a, we were in, we were in a baseball, a minor league baseball, the, the one Michael Jordan played in. Yeah. Because the, the clubhouse was named Michael Jordan Clubhouse. That is awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, because so, he paid for it, right? Didn't he yes, spend a bunch yeah, of money to, yeah. to upgrade it? Probably bought him a bus too. I think the story yeah. goes. But we're we're in the Michael Jordan clubhouse, and my father is in another room, which I didn't know where he was. And he, I'm I'm doing the press conference, and it's like, I look back and I'm like, it's like the like the smile on my face, man. Like the joy is just oozing, and I see him kind of go behind like media, and I I caught him, and it was like that was that was a lot. Like I almost broke down. Yeah, man. Yeah, I get it. And so, then, uh, and then yeah, we go ahead. When I was done, I went and hugged him, and it was it was a pretty intense, emotional moment. Yeah, for both of you, I'm sure. So when you look at season by season, and we're not going to go through each season, but it's interesting because obviously after your title year, the team takes a bit of a step back that next year, um, eight and twelve and two, the record, but you do win the Big Ten tournament, so got better as the year went on, make the NCAA tournament, of course. But then you see, like, 2014, 15, 16, kind of there, you're in the tournament. But then it seems like rocket fuel is added or there's a tipping point. And Mm -hmm. it seems like from 2017 till as we speak today, you hit your stride. And the program hits, an, it, I don't even know how to, it's stupid to say, but a new level. Mm-hmm. I mean, since 2017, it's College Cup final. Then 2018 is 23-1, Big Ten regular season conference champions, College Cup. 19, Big Ten regular season tournament champs, round of 16. 20, regular season tournament champs, College Cup final. 21, round of 16. 22, College Cup final. 23, I mean, it's, what, did something happen or is this, did you get better? Like, <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm really curious because yeah. we also, you know, we've done so many of these, Todd, with with yeah. basketball coaches, football, where we do talk a lot about luck. And yeah. and let's be honest, when you're really good and you're in a tournament, luck has maybe as much to do with who wins ultimately as any other element in injury. I mean, your dad talked about not having the right cleats. For, you know, the right, like, like something weird can happen at that stage because the margin is so small when you're at the best of the best, but on paper, something happened here and you've hit a real stride. So walk us through that. (laughs) Do you have any reaction to that? Well, I think, I think our recruiting has always been good, but I think we really hit another gear with some of our national recruits and, you know, Kevin Robeson, who's been with me since, you know, 2013, um, he's really good. He's really good at helping to find the talent. And 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 we have similar, you know, we, we both can see the same player, understand where we're coming from. And that took some years to get that. So you start landing um, some really key players that maybe you even outkick your coverage on the guys that you didn't think were going to be as good. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, the synergy just happens. And it's not always like, man, we're just like, like the talent's crazy better than everyone else, but it was a double combo. I mean, in particular, 17, 18 group, um, 
that was a very dominant two years. And yeah, you went 38, four and seven over those two years. And, Insane. And, and we lose in overtime to Stanford and, you know, that was a, just a gut punch. And, and it was a, that was a game that was probably had penalties written on it. Honestly, it was pretty much of a, a cage match. Um, and then 18 was, was the year that man, that team was just destined to like win things. I mean, they win the double. We'd been second, in the big 10, a couple of years and they're pissed off. Like we need to win the big 10. They win the double, which is hard. Um, we get to the college cup, which is hard. And now we play Maryland for the third time. And we had the, a really tough first half and we just couldn't play catch up. Like we ran out of time and man, did I think that team was going to win it. Like of any team I've coached, like going into those later stages, I'm like, man, this eight now Frankie Moore, a key midfielder was, was injured and not a hundred percent, which was a, like you said, luck, Eric, it's, it's yes. And in our sport too. I mean, can you dominate statistically in some sports and still lose? I don't think so. It happens every once in a while. You, you'll see it in a football game where somebody dominates the time of possession and they dominate the pass yards and the rush yards, but then they'll have two turnovers or three turnovers that, you know, somebody scores a pick six and it changes it. But yeah, I don't think it happens very often. It doesn't happen in football, basketball. Really, like no way. Right. You can't like, you can't no. look at every key stat and lose the game. No it, baseball. Same thing. Like if you're getting the most hits, you're going to win. You're right. So, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a fluke goal. It's a fortunate goal. It's a, it's a call referee. I mean, you know, in our sports, one, yeah. one goal, I mean, two, one, one, zero, it's, it, you know, you get to a penalty shootout. I mean, one of the years that Stanford won it, I think it was in 16, they won the college, they won the final four college cup and didn't score a goal. They won both semi and final in penalties, zero, zero. Yeah. I do mean, you like, do you like that? I got to know. <laughs> do you, do you like the game ending in penalty shots? No, I don't. So no. if you were the commissioner, mm -hmm. do you just say you play till somebody scores? I would go longer. I would play longer. So in the, if certainly another 10, so 30 for sure. Yeah. And and I, I can't figure, I hopefully get the technology. I'd love for some way where we could take a player two off. We did this in the TST, which is the, the, the TBT uh, basketball tournament yeah, we did yeah. last year. And it's a different format, but they take players off and you until there's a goal. You yes, I love that. The field would get too big. If you could rearrange the line. So if somehow we can get like laser lines and make the field. So you basically finish the game in small sided, but you're still playing the game. But there's just going to be more goal scoring opportunities. That way you're still winning the game or losing in a soccer. Couldn't, couldn't you set it up where you play like half court? Where, where like you get the ball. And then your possession ends when you either get a shot or the other team takes yeah. it, like something like that. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm you want to make me commissioner of soccer? I mean, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm with you. I mean, is it the most exciting thing though? It is. I mean, what in sport? And that's I don't. That's not the reason to keep it. It will never change. I mean, FIFA. I mean, that would be like you know you know blowing up congress and revamping how we do things. it's like it's too embedded you know the purest way things are run there's no way they're going to switch from that format i liked what we did in early mls years which it was the shootout where you had 30 yards from goal you had five seconds to dribble and go 1v1 with the keeper it's like a, an abbreviated version of a penalty shootout yes so you're 1v1 you got to be able to run at speed goalie can come out 
exit, leave the PK. You still got to like not use your hands outside the penalty box. But we did it. It was like a gimmicky thing in MLS. And it was, I thought it was pretty good. That's at least better because it resembles the game a little bit more. That's what I don't like. It feels like you're ending with an exhibition. And that I don't like. In the, I mean, think about, have you watched the special on? Um, yes. Yes. And after obviously the, 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 the red card and like, think about the penalties that are missed. Roberto Baggio, 1994. Oh, so watch. Painful. Yeah. Watch the documentary on him and like his life changed for these people are hated forever. Some were killed the Colombian. The, totally. You know, it was killed. I mean, we have an easy Escobar one, right? Yes. The, yeah. That, that was a good 30 for 30, the two Escobars. Yeah. And it's like, think about the, the national teams where you are the hero for the rest of your life or you are hated. Yeah. And, and it, I so agree. you're saying it puts too much pressure on one guy. It does. Yeah. And I would love to see it, it change. And I am going to make you commissioner of this. And <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we would make some real changes. We would make some real changes. Todd, I do, I do wonder. This is my favorite phrase that Eric's making me very self-conscious of now. <laughs> when are you're so good every year? And you say some years you outkick your coverage, and maybe you get to the College Cup, and that's it ends a game or a victory short. And you're like, wow, we that that was cool though. We really made the best of what we had. How do you deal with the last game? as it is for pretty much everybody all the time, always ending in a loss when you're so good every year that you could potentially win it all that, that have you learned because you you've had to learn to cope with it, right. And pick yourself back up and do it again the next year and hope this is the year all the stars align and the last games of victory. How have you learned to deal with that? It, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, how you would classify a successful season in, in our measures. Um, and Scott does a great job of reminding me, he's like, Ty, we don't take this for, I mean, to, you know, we, we, we've been in like 12 straight conference finals, regular season in big 10, like, like in the, to win it, like 12 straight. That's insane. Something. And, 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 and we, obviously the, the college cups, I mean, we've been to, uh, what is it? 23 now been 50 years 24 right it's almost one every two years it's it's it was 40 some percent um <laughs> i mean when you think of the numbers it it it's on it it makes you crazy i mean like it that makes you stay up at night because how do you it in because because what just to put a put a fine point on it because how do you maintain that well you, like you how do you live you're, up you're, to the, you're, your own success yeah, you're sometimes you're in your own moment going like when you go outside of it and, you know, our SID is pushing things on media and we, you know, there's times, you know, I mean, I, I do because of the pressures I've always been around, I've always been pretty good at like not trying to do something. Right. So just do, do what you can. And if you do things, things well, then people will notice and you'll, you, you can feel good about it. And that's hopefully a lot of winning with that. Because if you try to look at what everything's done, you would you you just bang your head against the wall. Like then it's no fun. So you got to take the joy in all the moments and and know that yeah, I mean winning it uh, less than winning it, you know teams are you know getting they're getting rings for sweet sixteens. Like we don't even get rings. We don't want rings. 
Yes. I love and, that. And, and I honestly, I, I think it's a big achievement. It's not easy, but we're, we just don't celebrate sweet 16s. It's, it's still a unique mark. I mean, we've had some crazy run at it of appearances in sweet six and the most in the country as a program. I mean, that's still a good year, but <laughs> yeah. our standards are so damn high that it, it, you, and you also know when you do finish on top that it's so, it's so short because you have to go back to work so fast. You don't really. <laughs> I get that, man. That it, it's the truth. It's in, you know, a couple of coaches that have won a lot, you know, you know, they made the, made the phrase it's ephemeral. It's like, you know, a rose, how quickly it's beautiful, but how quickly it will die. Yeah. You can't keep staring at it. It's not going to look beautiful if you keep admiring it. And, you know, you look at, you know, you've heard Saban after, you know, a, a title game and he's like, I'll be in work tomorrow, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I, I try with our guys, our staff, like we have a lot of thought and we work really hard and we have to enjoy more things along the way and not put like, that's the only thing that defines our season. And, and, and when you do win it in 12, we won it. When we had our kind of like our team banquet, if you will, we did it uptown. It was kind of a cool little thing, just parents and the players. And the players didn't talk about the title at all, seniors. It was all about the, the experience, the program, the friends, being part of it. That's and awesome. It, it was like an eye-opener. It wasn't like, oh, my God, that title, I'll always remember. That. I mean, it was all the little things that go along with it. And Yeah, if I was there, I'd have been like, hey, guys, also, we won the title. Let's not <laughs> yeah. forget that we're here because we won the title. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. So it, it does. I mean, and that's what, you know, you, if you fall short, I mean, you know, we're a penalty kick away, you know, two years ago against Syracuse and yep. there's another ninth and then people want the ninth. No more than we do, of course. Um, but you, you can't, you can't let it just wear at you and, and forget about all the things that happen on the way. And, you know, I love the process. I mean, that's what you do the the, the recycling and, you know, it's such an amazing thing in our job to get the recycle every year and then have a natural three to four year tr transition. I mean, there's a reason there's a cadence for that. They're, mm -hmm. they're, the, the players are ready. Their, their voice has been a little, they're tired of the voice. Um, and you have new guys coming in and that's why you see, you know, most national teams, usually a new coach every, every cycle. Cause it's, it's hard to sustain that. And with the same guys, usually you get rid of the coach or you, you keep players and then the pros, they just get rid of the coach. Right. That kind of allows you to have six, seven years of a pro player, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of the nice thing about the college game. The players can only be there four years. So <laughs> it's good yeah, job security. I, um, just, it, like, if you it, win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do got to win. All right. I got to ask you one uh, soccer question that I promised a friend that I would ask, and then we're going to ask you a couple Bloomington questions and then we will yeah. get out of your hair. Yeah. I was watching with this friend, the World Cup, the last go-round, where the score of the game was 2 nothing. Well, there was one nothing, obviously, first. And then it was 2 nothing, And he was like, oh, 2 nothing's the worst score in soccer. I'm like, well, no, it's not. Because he was worried about the team that was leading. I'm like, no, it's not. one nothing is worse than 2 nothing because you're only up one. If you're up 2 nothing, that's 100% more goals that you're up. And he's like, no. 
two nothing is the most dangerous score in soccer. I'm like, you're an idiot. Like I had to, I'm trying to just explain to him one to two math. And then I Googled it and I saw some people who were agreeing with. So I'm going to ask you is two nothing the most dangerous score in sports or in soccer. I am 100% know where you're coming from, but I'm with you, Eric. I'll take two over one. Yes. Yes. But there is a psychological element. When you what get, is it that you get lax when you're down it, up two? It's just when they get the one that you know, it, it might be a tie, but you, if you're on top of that team, you, you feel like that second goal will come for you. Like you're two Oh up the goal scored, And then the, the momentum can be a shifter real fast. Got it. So that's where like you feel the pressure. Now it's two, two. Now it's like, you're done. I mean, not to say you are. <laughs> Right, but that's that's the psychology of soccer. It is, and I, I'm with, I'm with you, Eric. I'll I'll take that two goals. I'll deal with it. I'll deal. <laughs> I'll, with it. I'll, deal take, with it. I'll take it. Yeah. All okay. right. So let's so, yeah go for no, it, board. Nobody knows more about Bloomington than you do. Born and raised, he took a few years off to to Ohio and one in Madison. But you're back where you belong. Please tell us where is the best place to get dinner, in your opinion, in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. And what do you order there? <laughs> Probably, I mean, if it's like a real special night out with Susie and myself, um, it 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 probably would be uptown. It would be. Um, I I love being downtown, yeah. and and it's a little bit because also I you know the owner loves soccer, so I've gotten to know Michael through the years, and they have good variety of food. And if it's the weekend crab cakes, then I'm. You know, it's really the only place in town where, like, you really feel like that stuff's fresh, like the, the crab cake. And I love crab cake when it's got crab right. um, or a play. Um, that's that's my that's my and I love the fa- the feel. I love sitting in the bar in, in one of the tables and and yeah, that would be my my spot to uh, to have a dinner. All right, what about favorite pizza? You just gonna get pizza? What what are we ordering? Yeah. Pizza is a funny one for me because we. You know what I'm in right now. That's my new little hobby. Is 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 my pizza in my in my little uni? Oh yeah, you so, got one of those. I'm a little, I'm an uni guy now. Are you making good Neapolitan pizza at home? I am. I am. Are you so, making? Or now wait. Are you going full out? Or are you making the dough? I'm not making the dough. I mean, but, you got to make yeah. the dough. Or what are you doing? You're just playing easy bake <laughs> oven. I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> you got to make the you dough. Know, I need a little more time for the dough. I'm, yeah, I'm the you are busy. Now. You are busy. But I love making my own pizza. It depends on my mood, honestly. Um, you know, we we I have Pizza X all summer because of camp. So if I'm gonna like quickly order, yeah, I'm gonna get the, the breadsticks because I how do you not love the ranch and the cheese? I mean, come on. Come on. Uh, so that's kind of like my my fast food yeah. pizza. Um, and then from there, I don't like have one like favorite spot. Um, I, I do like a little bit of how Da Vinci's other pizza. Um, and yeah, I've and heard they, that they make a couple of different eclectic ones. My wife doesn't like the deep dish, so we don't go to mother bears, but I'm a fan of mother bears yeah. where I would go and you know it. Well, it was gone with you guys. I would go to noble Romans. Oh no. I love noble Romans. Okay, Warden and I have talked about noble Romans as right. a kid. I grew up going to noble Romans. I love that's where that's breadsticks too. Great breadsticks. at Romans. Yeah, I would do a I would do a deep dish sausage mushroom, call it a day. The big red sauce in the middle. Yes. Are there yeah. any noble Romans left anywhere? There are up in Westfield. Really? 
it's just that was just next to it and it was tough not to go so they built one it's this is magical because they speak to people like you all that are alums and you know no more has been gone for a little bit they they created a no romans at westfield right near the grand park so up in like westfield carmel area and it's it's basically like a brewery no romans so it's kind of like your new like no romans just got 2.0 Got it. it. Can you still see them make the pizzas? Do they still the like these? You can. Yeah. It doesn't have the glass, but it's right. when you walk in, it's it's you go up order, they bring it to your table. The pizza though is they they got the formula. It's legit. And then you can get your pints and it's a little it's a little cooler and more updated than the old one. But you know, I spent more birthday parties than normal Romans growing up. That's it, right? Every time every game, every was game. Was the hangout the spot after school? Yeah. Oh, oh was it for you, Ward? Yep. That's mm-hmm. where you go. Yeah, love Noble Romans. Um, That's where I would go if we still had it. Do you do you have a sweet tooth? And if you do, where do you go to indulge it? Well, because I'm a townie, I would I would go to Jiffy Treat, Um, just because it's like my childhood spot to go. Sure. So I went to Baskin Robbins in in the you know near the mall. It was been gone a long time, Um, but Jiffy Treat because I also I I like to you know I like to do local. You know, I, I do like a couple of the downtown spots. I'm, I'm, I, I like ice cream, but I'm not crazy about it. I do love the mud pie at Malibu. I mean, mm. if I can, if I can put that thing down, that's, yeah, that's good. That's a problem if I eat that. Well, one. What's the name of the place we went to, Ward, with Dane Fife? The one, the ice cream oh, place I should go out, out of town. Side, it's like once you go past Chick Fil A and stuff. What's that? Brewsters. Brewsters. I like yeah. Brewsters. Good. Yeah, that would be kind of like the the modern. Um, version of what jiffy treat yeah like my kids would go to brewster's today probably more than jiffy treat but since i was in bloomington since ever that was i'd go to pup hut over at that jiffy treat and which doesn't exist anymore and i would go get ice cream that would that'd be a cool night here's a tough one we've never asked this of anybody what is the one restaurant that is no longer there you can't use noble romans now because although that would have been a perfect answer so I'm kind of using your own answer to come up with a harder question. What is the one restaurant that's no longer there that if you could wave a wand and reopen, you would reopen it? That was easy. And I mentioned it because it was right near my house. It would be mustard. Mustard. Yes. I mean, get that burger bar. The burger. And then, in the, I mean, in the vibe in there was great. I mean, that place was magical. We ate that's, pregame meals in there. I mean, that's I, how it's come. We ate pregame meals in, in, in really. Probably not the healthiest. <laughs> it's probably not. Well, I remember the basketball team did their training tables at Steak and Shake for years. Oh yeah. I mean, I I remember. I think it was the first time um, I was at Mustard's. I found out we we Indiana had played Ohio State at the senior game of 1987, the championship year. Alfred Smart, Garrett Calloway, Thomas. They win that game against Ohio State, and we had to have Purdue lose to win the Big Ten. Wow. And we found out at Mustard's, and the whole place lost its mind. (laughs) So I I love Mustard's. That was like a must for us. I will throw McCree's at you. I would bring back. Yeah, now you're talking to me. Okay, that's another big childhood. I mean, that would be – that was a once a weeker. So my my mom didn't cook, so like – when she felt guilty, we went to MCL cafeteria because she felt like she was getting my veggies. <laughs> so, way, of course she couldn't cook. She was washing the she team's was washing the uniforms. Things. I yeah. mean, so no, we would go to MCL cafeteria in the mall. 
next to the movie theater, which probably wasn't around when you guys were here. I don't. I don't was. remember the cafeteria, but I remember yeah. the mall and the movie theater. Yeah, no, it was it was you know you go through, you get your meats and veggies, and but no, McCree's was a once a weeker, hundred percent. Um, in those booths, I think sat fifty people. I could put the team in there. <laughs> and potato chips—they made their own potato chips that were so good. And they had toys in there for the kids. Yeah, McCree's was great. And the huge, yeah, I wish, huge I wish cups. The huge, huge cups, cups with the soda, like half gallon soda, is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was. Um, though that you brought up a good one, Eric. There we go. That that would be my ward. Do you have one? No, I, I would have picked McCree's. That was yeah. that was really the go-to. The ones I frequented most that well, you know what? I will say RIP to Bears. Because even though Bears uh I mean had a pretty decent burger basket I would get, that was really about the backroom karaoke, which I will never forget Thursday night karaoke and the the ninety-nine team came in freshly crowned champions. And the whole place just went crazy for them. Um, but that was more about the drinking and less about the food. <laughs> I think there's one more that was a staple. And I'm sure you had it. was Opie Taylor's. Oh, I was just going to say it. The burgers at Opie Taylor's. Yeah. The I mean, we're, getting the, we're getting the burger theme here. I think we all like burgers. Yeah. Yeah. So Opie was a, that was really just, that was a bummer to see that go. Um, Why did it go? Did did business just dry up? COVID, you know, you, that was a COVID casual. I don't know that for sure, but I'm guessing. Man, I loved Opie Taylor's. Loved it. Loved yeah. Opie Taylor's. I was also a Mancino's fan, by the way, just to throw that Mancino's. out there. I oh, liked yeah. the grinder. The grinder. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen, Todd, man, it's been great chatting with you. It's been great getting to know you a little bit over the last several months. Uh, it, it's uh, Ward and I both have such as he was talking about the, the 99 team coming into Bears. I was at Indiana when we won back-to-back titles. And I mean, it was just the pride that you get from the soccer program is just incredible. We are the best program uh, ever, anywhere of all time. And to do what you've done, taking over for a legend who happens to be your father and keeping it going at the absolute highest level is just almost unheard of. And it's only almost unheard of because you're the one that's done it. And it's it's remarkable. It is such a fun program and an easy program to root for. Uh, we look forward to coming to more games, even though we don't have a good track record when we come to games or watch <laughs> games. But we're going to reverse that this year. Um, we'll get you we just love what you're about. Too. We'll get you up in the... Yeah, put us up in the, to watch the beautiful game. And I'll get my father up there with you. Yeah, there you go. Because, yes. I'll, there I'll, you go. I'll hook him up. you guys have done an amazing job i mean you know you guys are great at what you do and you're you're very entertaining and you're pros at your job but you you represent so many just fanatic iu supporters you know yeah we have to have the voice out there and you speak it real and um yeah we're you know i know most people can't do this because they don't have the platform or the or the skill but I think you speak for a lot of fans out there of IU that it's a lot of love. And wow. uh, I appreciate yeah. I appreciate, that. Yeah, I appreciate what you guys do because you, you bring a lot of real positive energy to the, to all of our programs. And so thank you for, for doing what you guys do. Thank you, Todd. That really, that means everything to us. Uh, we're excited to see you in person again, hopefully soon. And uh, good luck with the rest of filling out this next year's roster and can't wait to see what next year brings. Thanks, guys. That was a guest. That was a guest. 
It's hard to imagine the success of father and son combined. There's only been three coaches in the history of IU soccer. Two of them are Yeagley's. Yeah. All three have won national championships. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, it is, it's just such a remarkable run of success. And you kind of see why. I mean, Todd is just such an um, easygoing guy. He clearly knows soccer like the back of his hand. But I can see why people want to play with it. He just seems to have a quiet confidence about him that he doesn't need to be braggadocious, but he's got a little swag to him. Yeah. A a swag earned by everything from his playing days to his coaching days. And I think you've prompted a great trivia question. What father son duo has like coached the same team and won a national championship at either the collegiate or the professional level. Uh, like, I mean, certainly nothing obvious is jumping to mind, you know, yeah, if, I'm going to do a quick look up. I'm going to do a quick look up. I can't think of anything in, in any of the major pro leagues or any of the major college sports. Has there been a father son coaching the same team that won the whole thing? And maybe- well, how about this? It's not the same. If Shanahan wins the Super Bowl, then he and his dad both won Super Bowls, but not with the same team. Different teams. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a that's an interesting one. Uh, John Thompson Sr. won a championship. Then John Thompson Jr., uh, or the third, I think it was. Third. He, he coached. And they had some really good teams, but never won a title. I don't think ever made a Final Four. Maybe they made a Final Four. I don't know. Didn't he coach uh, your boy uh, Hibbert? Yeah, yeah, yeah they were no, really good. I don't think I don't think the the third ever ever made the Final Four. Did Pat Knight win a title with Texas Tech? Mm, maybe he won some games. Yeah, I'm not yeah. even sure about that. That is really good. Is there another? I mean, we don't know about all the other sports. There could be baseball coaches, stuff like that. But that I would love to know. If anybody knows, who are a father-son duo that coached or managed the same team and won their respective national titles or professional titles? I would say let's put it to Daryl, but I know he won't be able to come up with that. Where has Daryl been? Did did Daryl make it in with the atmospheric river or is he on a canoe somewhere? (laughs) I think, I think he's going merrily, merrily, merrily. Life is but a dream Um, somewhere up there. He's not in here today. And frankly, it's just easier for me now when he's not around because he's supposed to help, but he actually just makes everything more difficult. Uh, I agree. Um, well, hopefully he'll be back soon. I mean, hopefully this atmospheric river will go away and he will be, he will steer safely to shore. Uh, all right. Well, you know what it's time for award? No, I don't. Is it Billy Joel again? Are we doing that? No, again? Okay. no it's time to wrap it up. Oh, okay. Um, well, this has been fun. Uh, if people want to check out our Facebook page, that would nope, be great. Nope. 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 We're all over the Instagram, the IG, as you know. We are on Instagram. I don't do it a lot, but we're on it. That's fair. But there's mm-hmm. one other. www.hoosierhysterics.com. 
doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Follow us on Twitter, Hoosier Hysterics. No I, no E, but the sometimes why. Thanks. We'll see you next <laughs> week. Didn't even rhyme. Didn't even rhyme. <laughs> From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.